0: Welcome to the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast, the podcast that answers your questions about arcade repair and restoration. Now, here are your hosts, Eric and Chris. Welcome to
1: Arcade Repair Tips, Episode 67. I'm your host, Eric, and with me is my co-host, Rusty. Hey, Rusty. Good evening, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself?
2: Fantastic.
1: Let's get into what's been going on with your world and my world as far as arcade stuff goes. What's uh, what's new with you and your uh, your two businesses, your two your two yep. separate yeah, arcade yeah. businesses? How about the uh, how about the Key Arcades? Anything new well, the and exciting arc- there? Yeah,
2: it's it took a slow turn down uh, course after the hurricane and everything slowed down. A lot of I had a lot of repair work that was matter of fact that was hurricane related actually got in a uh Ms Pac-Man Galaga 25th anniversary mm-hmm. cabaret cabinet and it was it was badly redone it was messed up from the bottom and on the bottom where the water got to it and the uh they looked like they took a pickaxe and then bondoed it it was, <laughs> it was it was it was terrible How high did the water get Um it got up well, you know, it's interesting because I it looked like it got high enough to get into to where the board was, but the boards were unaffected. So, evidently, it may have just got low enough, just low enough for it to to soak into the to the particle board, mm-hmm. and it just you know weeped up the up the boards there. But it um, probably about a foot and a half. Wow! He should have cut it off and and you know redid that but um and just redid the whole wood but nice looking cabinet but what's interesting about it and and maybe you can even give us some point some point to it it's a monitor issue and we thought i'm trying to think now exactly how it came in and presented oh it i've got green raster retrace lines
1: interesting which, now, as soon as you say that, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the, you know, you have the red, green, and blue bias and drive yep. on the neck neckboard. W- you'll see retrace lines if the drive is too high. So that's the first thing that I think of. Yep.
2: Yep. And I've turned down the, and the bias drive and the cutoff doesn't change it. Really? Yeah. So I swapped the pins to get see if if know, it followed the red if like it followed, if right yep, if it followed yep, the color. Yep. And the red got really bright, but or where the red was supposed to be it got really bright, but I still got the green raster lines. I don't I, it's really confusing. It's something that I'm going to have I'm gonna, Mr. Callan's going to come by the shop here next week or so and I'm going to have him We, we
1: could almost do it. this like a question. So uh, what the first thing to think of is that my my first thought is does it look the same when you unplug the video input to the monitor or has that been done yet?
2: Well, what was interesting, it's a newer style. It's a, Wells Gardner seventy two oh three. Yeah, and
1: it's those those reunion uh, units are twenty five or at least the standard size cabinet has a twenty five inch monitor instead of the this 19. Is nineteen. So this is the cabaret, so this it has the nineteen, 19 in it.
2: Nineteen inch, and it's seventy two oh three. I can't. I'm having trouble finding schematics strictly for that. A seventy two oh one works on it, but um, and I tried to plug in. I have that. Um, all the little box that makes the test, pattern. the test patterns. test Yeah,
1: on. is that if that's the one? uh Ken's, is that yours or is no? It, it's mine. I bought okay.
2: it off of. I bought it from thing and it's worked on every monitor. Right. And I've hooked it up, but I just get scrambled. I can't get it to sync. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And it's got a it's got a little switch to flip between the different uh frequencies. Right. On the thing. Right. But anyway, I I only had about an hour to mess with it the other day. And so I'm really just now getting into it, but it's an interesting problem. It's not something that just going to Be a
1: quick, easy fix. And that, that game board, uh, is a JAMA game board. It's a, yes. And they were notorious for failing. Uh, you know, so if you have one of those machines, you know, a lot of people have changed out to the, uh, uh, don't cuss at me, but the 60 in one board.
2: board. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah
1: but it is it is jama and and you're, it's likely that it's the CGA I'm pretty sh- I'm almost positive that that game is CGA resolution which is the yep. same thing that same thing as standard resolution which is the same thing as 15.7 kilohertz yep. uh sync on it but um yeah that's in- that's interesting that it happened after the flood yep. but the monitor was not part of anything that that got wet
2: they got wet yeah and the uh, and it has a um it has a recap. Somebody, somebody did a recap kit on it in 2017. And I'm glad they did because there is a boatload of caps on it. board. <laughs> it's amazing how many caps were on that
1: Now, board. since that is a JAMA game, JAMA game board, you know, of course, one thing, it's going to be real easy to pop another Gemma game in it to see if it's coming from... But it's very... You're not going to see retrace lines from too strong no. of an output. No. Uh, so, um, you know, we know... You know, I really shouldn't have even gone down that road because there's nothing a game board that can put out that would, would cause that. It's going to be in the monitor Yeah, it's itself. going to be in the
2: monitor. And the game plays great. Matter of fact, you know, most time you can play the games. You can see it all plays good. It just... You don't get... The green's not quite there. And... I, and like i said i haven't had enough time to play with it i really need to probably what i really need to do is pull the uh the adjustment pots out and make sure they're even working like they're supposed right. to right because i'm wondering if they even are yeah. so but uh, anyway so we had that little toy i had a um i've actually had a bunch of machines that come in i brought a game board over today that me and you're going to work on later now that's it's a uh, donkey, donkey kong, kong. Yeah, it's a Donkey Kong board that I, I so the gentleman brought he had two machines. He bought uh Donkey Kong and he and he brought in a Galaga machine. The Galaga machine needed the power supply issue and it needed uh monitor rebuild. So we did all that and it was working great. So then I got into his Donkey Kong and found out with the Donkey Kong there's a um, a constant sound in the background, a constant jump so like, <laughs> Always just running. <laughs> and uh if you look online there was a lot of stuff about well it's a resistor because those are analog sounds that are generated right. and and uh with a timer chip and you go in there and replace it's the little uh transistors that that drive those tend to do that. Well we... basically
1: the computer will tell the game program will tell the transistor okay turn the sound on turn it off. Uh it, you know being an analog sound and not running through you know not a digital sound yeah. so the
2: that... Yeah so we and, and I've tried I swapped out uh, Joe Crookham, one of the other guys. one of my buddies has a, a Donkey Kong board, and we swapped out known working transistors and tested the transistors, and they all seem to play good, so that didn't solve the problem, and I beat my brains out on it enough until I think um, you we're going to have to put a oscilloscope on it and you're going to get to show me how to do that
1: right and that's something we're going to talk about today uh, as far as what tools that i have that you really need to get started in arcade repair and uh from from what you need as the bare minimum to some of the stuff that i have to do some of the more advanced uh repairs to tackle some of the more advanced stuff so we'll be uh you know maybe we'll give an update on the next episode as as to what it took to to fix it,
2: yeah, we should. I think we should. I think we do find little things like that. We ought to fix it and bring it forward and show, tell folks what we did to fix it. And you know, what would be interesting too if any of these questions that we answer on these, if somebody takes and applies our fixes and it works or it doesn't work. If it works, great. Let us know. Hey, this you fixed it. If it doesn't work and you figured out what the problem is, let us know because we'd like to know what that problem res- resolution was
1: yeah ultimately what we're what game uh, arcade uh, repair tips is trying to accomplish is to have a large database of you know as many problems as people can come up with and what the solution is in a searchable manner so if you go to the website there you can search for almost anything we're just just trying to constantly add to the uh to all the problems to you know with the, with the solutions so that uh people can find them how, any any other things uh? well you know
2: no not really i we repaired a few um uh, the had a, folks bring in a captain fantastic and the brown dirt cowboy mm-hmm. em game and they brought it in and said hey just let's just get it working and and i asked them if they wanted to go all the way through it I said no i'll just get it working and of course there was grease all in the things <laughs> and so i got it working and then a week later they called me back and said well it stopped changing players now well, I got over there and they have it in their garage and down here in Southeast Texas right now in the garage, it's horrible with all the uh, humidity in the air. Right. And it got to all the the little bit of grease that was sticking within, was hiding within that uh, player stepper unit eked out stuck and then it worked so then it cost them a little more money when i went out there <laughs> and fix it again it's like and then at the end she was like well is this part of things no no nope. here's everything i did because that's <laughs> i really detail everything this is everything i did so that would come back and go you know you didn't it, want to you were concerned about
1: budget and you know the thing with working on a game that's 40 years old exactly is you can do you can fix everything and everything everything can be working perfectly when you're done with it but there there are so many mechanical Things in these absolutely. old pinball machines that absolutely it can it can go out the door and a week later have a fault that ha- is completely unrelated to anything absolutely. that you repaired and
2: absolutely and I tell people that all the time when they talk about the machines especially you know because we have so much failures at the gang preserve we have so many games we're constantly having games down that, that I just I can't it's just apologize. nature of the it's beast just nature of the beast simply because well look around your house find something that's thirty years old that's electronic that still works.
1: And has a hundred moving parts in it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I challenge you to find anything that's thirty years old, it's electronic, still working in your house. Because <laughs> uh, most we we swap them out; they stop working, we throw them out, and we you know we might have an old clock, maybe that runs, but you know you don't have any. Maybe your old stereos.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> in game repair, in arcade game repair, you'll see people throw out around the term. Bulletproof, like you do this, and it's going to bulletproof. It. No, oh, I hate it when people use that term. It's like, uh, yeah, okay, you've you've improved the reliability of something, but there is no such thing as bulletproofing a game.
2: Yeah, well, you know, you get it bulletproof, and then somebody come along with a bigger bullet.
1: <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs>
2: yep. But anyway, so that you know, we've had some I had some interesting things to play with uh, over the last since we since we had this, and then of course the game preserve has really. Uh, we've really had some interesting things. We had a great New Year's Eve party. We had a good Christmas party and all that. All came together, and and that was a lot of fun. But our big thing we're getting ready for is, believe it or not, Eric, we have been running for five years. January 26th will be five years from the day we opened. And I believe, sir, you were there.
1: I was there day one. I was there negative day, whatever. (laughs) I was there a few days before you opened to try to... Help out a little bit, but yeah, it it's, it really is hard to believe. And that was two locations uh, previous, previous to and, the one we're at now, right? And uh, man, that was quite a journey, wasn't it? It was. It really was. And
2: and uh, but we are so so happy with with all the members and everything that every people have done for us over the things. So so what we're doing for our five year anniversary is we're really working to give back to all our members, and we're doing that by having a rather large outdoor venue party we're going to have three live bands we're going to be giving away a uh, 60 in 1 multi-cade game to a member we're going to have so not a
1: raffle but just
2: an outright if you're a member if you're a member you got to if you're a member and you come by during the week of that, that week of our anniversary week you come by check in we'll sign we'll put a ticket with your name on it in the pot and you have a chance to win it doesn't cost you a dime to things oh, that's and great. to come to the party if you're a member doesn't cost you a dime to come to the party what's the date it's january 26 which is Exactly five years, and it's a Friday. And some people, oh, why don't you put it on Saturday? You know, we can do it on a Friday because that's that's the day. That's exactly <laughs> five days, five years ago. And, and it, you're going to have
1: so much fun. You need two days to recover.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And and pick up all things. We're going to have games on the outside. We're going to we are working on several other surprises coming along. Um, I know that one of two things: either my DeLorean's going to be there. Just there somebody wants to take some pictures with it. But there is a possibility one will be there with the full time car layout. Oh We're that's on uh, that to get there.
1: That's uh M S. Yeah. His car? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: we're trying to see if we can't get him to come out and help us out and, and do that. Um, we're also going to have some food trucks there, so people have the food to eat. We're going to have games outside on the outside of the uh, venue itself out there in the parking lot. We're taking over the whole parking lot in front of us. That whole, we're going to square oh, off man, that that's whole great. area. It's going to have, yeah, we're going to have just... We have tons of room, three different bands. Two of the bands are uh people that are from members of that are members there. But if you're not a member, you can still come and instead of being in matter of fact, that whole anniversary week, since it's our five year anniversary, we're taking five dollars off the cost of interest for that whole week. So that whole week it'll be if you don't have a membership, you can come in and play for ten bucks all day long. If you come in that day, it's ten dollars. But anybody that's a member Come on out. It doesn't cost you a dime. You come in. It's just like you get get in, Reg, just check in with us. You're in. And you get to, to listen to the band, have the music, bring your family, bring your kids. You know, when I was growing up, I learned how to dance at a VFW hall in LaGrange, Texas. <laughs> and uh, with all my kin folks and all, you know, everybody around. And And it's a great opportunity, I think, for uh, for families to come out, bring your kids. Right. Have some dance, have some fun. So it will be a
1: family-friendly it event. It
2: definitely will be a family-friendly Friendly event, and uh, we 've got some more surprises lined out that we 're working on that we hope to reveal, uh, so our Facebook page has all that information on it and but we're it's really going to be a lot of fun and we 're looking to give some that was one of our as we talked about it the other day that was one of our intents is that with this party, not only is it a celebration of what we 've done but it 's something that we want to be given back, and for those members. We've got some surprises for you. For those of you that were members at the first location and still members now, and members at the second location and still members now, we actually have some really neat surprises for you guys. Oh, that's we great! So well, it'll be a lot of fun.
1: I promise I'll be there.
2: Well, there you go. It'll be great. We'll have a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. That's some uh, exciting stuff. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, have you guys picked up any new games for the? Well, you know, you guys have the warehouse with. I don't know how many games are over there fifty, a hundred games. I, I, I have no idea.
2: But <laughs> between the between the five of us, we've counted them up. Between the five of us, we probably have close between five hundred six hundred games.
1: Right. As far as in the uh, warehouse, you have all these games that you can rotate in. Uh, you know, as yeah, w- yeah, yeah. We do have we
2: we try to keep some that are that are ready to rotate in, and we. Um, we we will pull them. Uh, but a lot of times the games we pull in are games that we just come across. Somebody says, hey, let's here's the game. You can want to buy it? And we go and buy the game and bring it in. So, so It's nice to have something. that
1: reserve so that yeah. things don't become too stagnant exactly. at the uh, at the preserve. So exactly. you can put, put some new things in. I don't know. Is there a way that you can tell if a game is not being played as much as others? Or do you just kind of get a visual
2: well uh, we kind of realize we kind of watch around a little bit we see which games gets played and and which ones don't there are certain games that will never get out of there galaga Miss Power oh yeah, right. tempest you know those types of things that won't win. and usually we can tell too because one of those games will go down and and everybody, everybody complains, complains. And then you go oh well that game must be being played <laughs> <laughs> played a lot but um we um, we keep an eye on it, and we have our eyes in the sky that that watches over things, and we kind of get an idea of what's going on. With
1: what it. what would you say is the most played game at the game preserve? Um, you know,
2: the first of all, you got to exclude the pinball machines because there are certain pinball machines, and especially with our tournaments, guys just we just, just constantly, you know, constantly being played, hammer, yeah. But um, and there are some of those that get played more than the other. But if talking about video games, um. The Galaga gets played constant. Miss Pac-Man gets played constant.
1: Um, you know, Galaga, when you play Galaga at the very end of the game, it tells you how many bullets you fired and what your hit-miss ratio is. Yes. You know what would be really neat to know? How many times that fire button has been pushed over the course of the life of the game. Oh, my God. Millions, they I'm sure.
2: Speak beat the snot out of that thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's And some folks can press that button a whole lot faster than others. <laughs> They just tear it up. But, yeah, the, um, but the, the Mario Brothers, the Nintendo row, the Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, Popeye, those get, those get played quite a bit. The, um, we also get played the, uh, the bags machines, which I was really surprised about bags and uh, lawn darts being as played as much as they are. Uh, but people really enjoy those, and I think mainly it's because it's a team sport type thing. So, but, um, yeah, there's just certain games you look and go, okay, well, there's some games <laughs> we've looked at the, we've looked at, at video before and, and go, uh, tubing just didn't get no love, <laughs> but we take Tubin out and a where week did late, it go? He go? <laughs> Somebody's crying about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so it's back on the floor.
1: Oh, the, yeah. It, it, by the way, it just started raining here. So I had to let the, uh, dog in so she wouldn't, uh. Freak out too much, Wouldn't you know. Be crying. Well, <laughs> so hi, she's Cherry, she's you? in here causing causing commotion. Yeah. Well, as far as um, what, you know, you? what I've what I've been doing, I can't really say that I've I can't I don't think I've picked up anything new. I have I did sell a game. I sold my Ghostbusters pinball, and that's not because it's you know not a fun game. Uh, I've just I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I did played you have played it enough. No, I'm 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 a poor man. I had to get the pro. pro? Uh, and it was a great game. I, you know, really liked that game the entire time I had. it. I had it about a year, but and played it constantly and just finished. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. did all. You know, so it's time time to put something else yeah. in its place. Well, you know,
2: and I feel the same way. I played Ghostbusters a lot when we first got it, and I remember when we first bought it. That was one of the first new pinballs that the game preserve bought, and we were really. Right had some consternation as to which one do we pick up, which one do we buy. I think that was machine.
1: the actual first, because there were other new games up there, but they belonged to owners. Owners, that's correct. There were some new machines, Game of Thrones, yep. uh, but Ghostbusters was the first, first pinball machine that the Game Preserve collectively preserved. decided, yep. let's go get a new one, right? We bought it,
2: yep, yep. We, it's the invest, reinvestment of the members' uh, dues going back and, and bringing in that game, and that was the first one. And recently we bought uh, Star Wars. Uh, with the game preserve bought, but that was the first one, and, and we really talked about. And I, you know, we had conversations, Hey, did you really like playing that game? And we wanted to make sure that we picked the right one. We mm-hmm. could have bought three pinball machines, and we were looking at three different machines. And we decided, and we thought it was a good deal. But like you, after I've played it for eight nine months, I'm kind of done. I've played it all the way. You know, I I never finish it all the way through. There's always challenges there. I'm not that good of a pinball player but uh there is points I tend to want to move to something else and now we've got well we just got NASCAR fixed again in this backyard and I love NASCAR
1: you were yeah you really have an affinity for that game <laughs> I, I don't too. know what other than it having your name, my name <laughs> all over it, it. Yeah. yeah you know it's
2: got my name on it that that that's a good rusty thing rusty wallace yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh, uh but you know there's just something about the fact that you know you go to start the game you hit the flippers and you get the motor rev you get that sound you pull that that plunger back and it burns out, and it takes off, and then it throws the ball around a little track like, uh-huh, all right. the way around. The and every time it goes around, it goes. It's <laughs> that, just cool, man. I just love it. I there just was a Stern great.
1: game that uh, did that as well. looped the ball around like was it? Uh, there was well. There's another one. There's another racing game. Wait, uh, no, no. I may be confused. Is Na- NASCAR pinball? Is that Stern or is that older? Is that what? Who no, made? It's NASCAR. Is um,
2: I think it's Stern or is it Williams? I don't. Know.
1: Oh, Yeah, uh-huh.
2: I, I can't. Re- I it's can't got NASCAR remember. on. It It says Rusty on it, so i cool. <laughs> I don't. I really don't remember which one it is. But there is another one. There so is another race. pinball machine that yeah. has
1: that big loop. The the ball goes down uh, around below where the uh, the drain is, where yeah. the out hole yeah, is. Yeah, and it passes goes, up, the goes, around. That goes
2: around. Yeah, that's just
1: great. I just love that. And
2: there's and there's even a, a couple of modes and multi balls where. You're, while you're playing on the play field, you got this ball rolling around, yeah. running around while you're playing. It just adds so much to it. Yeah. I really
1: enjoy the game. Uh, good deal. But, well, I think that's the only transaction I've had since the last podcast. We, uh, I'm going to have to find something to replace the pinball machine that I sold, and I'm not sure what I'm going to get. I, have you seen – were you at Texas Pinball Festival last year? Yes. Did you see uh, – well, at the time it was called total annihilation, and now it's called total nuclear annihilation. Uh, it was what it was his. What is his name? Scott Denizi. Am I pronouncing that right? Um, it's a homebrew pinball machine, and it had just people went crazy over it, and myself included. It was just such a fun game. I remember
2: you telling me to go look at and I'd go did go and play it. It is a unique game,
1: and they basically it was taken over by not taken over but it was built by Spooky Spooky Pinball oh,
2: they so they're doing the they're, they doing the production they're doing honest. the
1: production of it so he added artwork to it and when it was at Texas Pinball Festival well, there was play. no playfield yeah, artwork right. on it but it's man it's such a such a great machine play it's so fast so fun the music is great on it and uh it's being you know shipped out now uh one of our local collectors Keith is getting one oh, tomorrow yeah. Oh, cool! As a matter of fact, he's number ninety something. So he was—he's been tracking the game. It's, it's in Dallas. <laughs> he's been drooling over yeah, it's, uh, it. Yeah, it's—he's watching the progress of the freight truck making it to his house. No, oh, that's funny. Uh, so maybe one of those. You know, um, not sure what's going to replace it.
2: So, have you played the Guardians of the Galaxy?
1: I have. What you think? It about was it? okay. It was okay. <laughs> it was no, no. That was a segue. Okay, so this is this is my <laughs> this is my opinion of it. Okay. Uh, there's some good and some bad there. Good, I I like the gameplay itself. The layout of the table, I think, is pretty good. The bad is, I I need to back up a little bit. So I had an Aerosmith pinball here for, I don't know, a half a year or so. An Aerosmith pinball has, I think it was seven games, uh, I'm sorry, seven songs, seven Aerosmith songs that it plays. And let me tell you, those seven songs get old (laughs) really fast. To the point where when Aerosmith comes on the radio now, I don't enjoy it anymore. (laughs) Because it just takes me back to hearing it over and over and over on the pinball machine. Okay. Now, let's fast forward to Guardians of the Galaxy. Four songs. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, well. Why, that's three less than what drove me crazy. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll add more songs in software update. And that sounds very petty, very trivial when you're talking about the quantity of songs that it plays. But in the, uh, I don't know, hour and a half I was at the place that had it. Uh-huh. It became noticeable. How often it was playing, you the know, same the same song. song, and there's a focus on the the music. It's not like it's just kind of background. It's 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 in the forefront. The the, the song is in the forefront. So yeah. it's, so it's
2: part of the gameplay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, see, and and that's a very good point because. People always ask us at the Game Preserve, hey, can you get an ACDC? Can you get an Aerosmith? Can you get a Metallica? Can you get... And, you know, we were talking about what game do we want to purchase? You know, if we pick up another game, which one? And I love Galaxy, Garden of Galaxy movies. I love the movies. I love the songs in it. The music makes it. And so the music should be forefront of the pinball machine. But for us, in 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 a large arcade, having a musical pinball machine that that has a lot to do with the gameplay makes it difficult because then you have to crank it up to hear it yeah and then you have to crank up the, the next one to hear that and then the, yeah, next, right. and the next thing everything just blaring and and, and you know we we want to make it to where you're still enjoyable so that's the only really way we haven't picked up so it's interesting that you say that that music is is that much of a on the the portion of the gameplay
1: Right, and it's not a bad choice of songs. In fact, I don't. I sh- it should be ingrained in my head as far as what songs they were. I don't remember right now, but yeah. and you know they were. It was they were okay. You know, good uh, good uh-huh. music, but it's just you know it's going to be very repetitive. But the gameplay itself was was pretty good.
2: It looked the, the play field looked pretty similar to some of the other ones that we've seen.
1: Yeah. Okay. You know when you go to Taco Bell they have about 10 ingredients. They have flour and they just mix them up. They have ground beef. (laughs) They have beans. They have cheese. And man, every month they can come up with the name of a new item that you buy, but it's the same ingredients. They're just rearranging. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's the same thing with pinball. There's only so many, I mean, you're, you kind of have, you know, you're going to have your flippers in the same place. You're going to have the slingshots in the same place The you know, you're going to have pop. There's only so many things that you can do with it. It's hard to be, innovative yeah. with pinball yeah. uh you can have you know toys that no one has has seen on it before but yeah. ultimately it's there's only so many things you can do with it yeah
2: you know and that's true i actually have got a uh gentleman that came in that i worked on his uh he bought a, he bought the flash pinball from me the other day and he was looking at ems and i have a uh a masquerade electromechanical pinball machine it's early Gottlieb, and it has four flippers on it. Two down at the bottom and two midway up the field. I mean all the way up the play field. There's two. And that's something we did see in the, a lot of the older machines is you see a different a whole different pinball layout. Captain Fantastic has two flippers side by side right next to each other on the lower lower left and's got two flippers on the right, but one of them's up play field a little bit, shoot targets on the side. So so they did experiment with a lot of different uh, layouts but now a lot of it's come back to just the same layout
1: you know i think there was i would say there's probably more variety in ems than there are with modern games even though they've oh, yeah. come so far with you know uh, so many advancements but you know now everything is you know you've got four ramp entrances and yeah. you know there it's all yeah it's it was very very similar but You know that sounds like I'm I'm hating on it. I'm not. (laughs) I still love pinball.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still and the the game's always and you know we've kind of diverted off into pinball world because we're both pinheads here, but we both like video games as well. But you know, for me, you know, your video games, you get the same kind of the same play over and over again, especially some of them, especially if they have a pattern to them. But with pinball, very random. It's very random. Every game's different. Every game's different. So.
1: But anyway. Well, let's segue into our next segment. Let's talk a little bit about tools. And I know Did tools. <laughs> did I, did I no, open that up to a... <laughs> no,
2: just recently, but that's okay. We're, we're, we're working through it. It's all good.
1: <laughs> you know, when you get into this and you're you get your first arcade machine and you're... Can, it's easy to be overwhelmed by, you know, you open up the back, man, look at, look at all the wiring, look at all the boards and all this stuff. What do, what do I need to, I've got a Phillips head screwdriver, is that going to be good enough? Yeah. What, what all do I need? And, you know, we go through these questions, we say, you know, check this, check voltage here and, and all that. And you can get started re, uh, with repair of arcade machines with a you don't have to spend a lot of money to get started.
2: No. And I don't think so. And I will tell you this too. The other the tools I think that we're going to mention right off the bat, and and we haven't talked about this. So oh, we're we're doing this on the fly totally very on the much. Fly. So <laughs> it's going to be really interesting as I see because I think my my set of tools that I would recommend or be it's the same as his set of tools, Eric sets. But the tools that we're going to recommend, they're not just for your video game. You're going to find that when you buy, get some of these tools, you will still use them and other things around your house. That's
1: right. You can Now you'll be able to fix your blender.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You'll be able to go and figure things out. Now, why is that doorbell not working? And the <laughs> next thing you know, your wife's going to be asking, would you stop tearing stuff up? you Leave it
1: alone. It'll be fine. We'll haul somebody else. Let them fix it. No,
2: baby, I can do it.
1: Well, you know, I think we can skip over the things like, uh, you know, screwdrivers, pliers, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, because, you know, you're already going to have... I would assume that most people are already going to have that kind of stuff. So most of what we're going to be talking about is going to be electrical. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that I would say the most important tool is going to be a voltmeter or multimeter. A multimeter, yeah. And, Rusty, I think if you walk through this house... We're recording at my house, and uh, you know I work on the games out in the garage. then I have a room in here where I work uh, on, on the boards. I bet you could f- find five or six multimeters in, in this house and out in the garage. It's kind of like for me, it's kind of like a flashlight. I always want one within arm's reach of wherever <laughs> I am to, uh, to do I, ha- it.
2: I have one in my workshop. Obviously, I have one in key arcades. I have one at the in my uh, my shop at the house where I have my cars and trucks that I work on my, in my tar and truck toolbox. I have one in there. I have a man cave game room at the house, and I have one in there. They're, you can get them relatively cheap. And mm-hmm. there's different ones. I have The ones that I use on my car is pretty cheap. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's cheap. I mean, it's like a is $10 Is it the free one. freebie from Harbor Freight if you buy the $10 worth of tools? Yeah okay, so it's really cheap. Okay, it's really cheap. Yes, it's that one, but it's great because it does what it needs to do. It can tell me if I got 12 volts or not. It tells me if I've got continuity. It's it's simple, and that's what you need on most car repairs right. and stuff. And so, absolutely, I agree. The that that's and but if you're going to get one, spend a little money.
1: Right now, I will say that now, as you mentioned, if you're working on certain things that you're working on, a cheap a cheap one is good, and Wow, multimeters are kind of like cars. You can you can get just a a dog, but you can they can really get expensive. And I have the cheap ones, and I have the expensive ones, and everything in between. And you know, I don't know that precision is as important as reliability. Like when you, you, I've used some cheap cheaper multimeters, and you uh the input protection is not good you put it on ac volts and you're getting wacky readings and you know somebody somebody has used it before you and put the wrong test lead in it and blown a fuse and you don't know it. it doesn't let you know that the fuse is blo- well yeah uh you know i have I, you know a fluke is a good meter i have two fluke meters i've got a I have an agilent meter i have i don't know quite a few different meters but you know, if you can probably, I would say hit the fifty dollar threshold uh, for it. There, there, you know, some pretty good meters for the val- You know, good values on meters for that price. Once you get to that point,
2: yeah. You know, and, and I can't think of the main meter that I use, but I'm thinking I actually paid for my meter around twenty five thirty bucks. Mm-hmm. That's about what I paid for my meter. And you're you're right on the precision. I I th- I do not disagree that. Like I said, spend some money on your meter, get the right meter, and do things. But precision really isn't, because all you're concerned about is, you know, you need needs to be able to test diodes. It needs to be able to test right. uh, your different voltages, and your, you can read AC voltage away from the DC voltage, so you mm-hmm. see if they're overriding each other. But, but um yeah. Don't don't spend less than twenty bucks. Right. If you spend less than twenty bucks, you're you're getting less than twenty bucks and and then you're you're guessing whether or not it gives you the right reading.
1: Right. And another thing to talk about as far as since we're on the subject of meters, well, a couple of things. Number one, you have auto ranging uh multimeters and you have where you have to set the range. If you're just getting into this and in a in a multimeter, a voltmeter is kind of new to you. Get the auto ranging. That's what I have. And you know exactly. what? Even if you're advanced, get the auto ranging. It's all of all of mine are auto. It just make it just simplifies things. the yeah. The manual setting meter the uh, where you have to set the range. There's nothing. There's really no benefit of it. They're just usually on the you know on the cheaper meters. Now another thing I want to talk about as far as meters go is the quality of the leads. Yes, when you buy a cheap meter, not uh, you know, not only is the meter itself cheap, but the leads are, leads are, are cheap. cheap. And well, what's what's the problem with the with cheap leads? Well, I'll tell you what the problem with cheap <laughs> leads. The point the where you're actually probing, you know, you you think you're on a, a connection, you think you're like you're working on a game board, and you think you've you're touching that metal good, and you're, you're like, wow, I'm not getting anything here. Oh man! I have to push with ten pounds of force to break through you know to <laughs> make a good connection, yeah and you know you get a good set of leads these uh the the wires them, on the nicer ones the wires are like a silicone based uh insulation they're yep. very you know you're not going to have to worry about uh, it just they're just so much better yeah
2: they really are and 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 it goes back to what i said well while you you a meter is there to tell you something is working or not. Mm-hmm. And if you can't trust your meter, you can't trust your leads. Right. That whether or not that lead is giving you the right resistance value, or is it kind of broke, and you got to wiggle the wire. Mm-hmm. I've seen people say, "Well, you know, if you hold that, I oh, know that's my meter. Just hold that wire like <laughs> that, and you can get that." Now, how am I going to test continuity if, you, if your leads not even? So yeah, you, that that's a very valid point.
1: You know, every when you're doing repairs, everything is dependent upon the previous step being correct. In other words okay, I've got, you know, I don't have voltage here. Let's go to the next. Well, what if, you know, you do have voltage, but your your meter is not, you know, reading properly. You're going on to the net. You're chasing your tail, you know, yeah. so you anyway i think we've i think i've beat that horse yeah. to death <laughs> get a decent meter just get a good get a good that's, meter.
2: that's your first thing you're going to buy
1: get a decent meter
2: and you'll use it around the house yeah I exactly
1: i yeah i use it for all kinds I of things i grab it all the time <laughs> what uh okay rusty what you how how about uh something else you use common common item
2: well the next thing is is um and this may be where we have some disagreement on is the soldering iron (laughs) you're gonna need a soldering iron right
1: oh yeah exactly
2: yeah now there's two different types there's the uh desktop type that's got the the main control to it and then i have one and i actually have three of these and they're handheld guns Mm -hmm. you can buy them from walmart or Mm -hmm. from oh yep i feel the disagreement coming on already (laughs) but what's great about it is is i have a nice one that I do my board level work and component work with on the on my desktop. That's the nice desktop one. But I have one, the gun type, that I carry in my toolbox. Mm-hmm. So when I'm working on pinball and I'm soldering large lead wires onto uh, coils and things right. like that, that gun works well. And... And I, I use it a lot because a lot of times that's mainly what I'm on the go. I'm, I'm fixing one either out on the play field floor or I'm, I've gone to someone's house and fixed it. Or I'm trying to solder something in the house. But when it comes down to getting down to the board level and start working and doing cap kit repair, absolutely I go to
1: that, that right. desktop. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. That's a <laughs> And I used to use, um, I know the gun you're well, talking about. Well, that's a Weller. About. Is it? Yeah, it's a Weller. Oh, okay. It's a decent. It's a, a Weller is a decent gun. And there are. I don't know if yours is this type, but there are the type of uh, the the gun that has uh, like. I'm trying to describe this since I since we can't do anything visual through these microphones. Um, you basically the the tip of it it, it goes out has a point turns around and comes back in so you can, oh, if no, you can kind of envas- like envision yeah it's it's like an element with and it goes and it's like a resistive element and it gets and i have yeah. used those before and they work they work well that you know can uh produce a lot of a lot of heat like you said when you're working when you're soldering wires up. to solenoids under a uh, you know you you really have to have not only the heat but it has to recover quickly or it yep. has to be able to maintain that temperature maintain the heat. and yep little cheap soldering irons can still get just as hot. They'll say, you know, however many watts they are or how, or how yep. hot they will get. But you touch it to a large surface, a large mass of metal, they can't keep out. up. It yeah. just yeah, it pulls the that t- the temperature of the tip down so much. And that's where your nicer soldering stations come in. Now, having said that, for uh, like, if you want to have a portable, like a gun, which is going to have a large, the guns usually have a larger tip. Usually, you can get some with smaller tips, but the ones that have a lot of power are going to have a large tip. They're um, they're you know, like I said, they're good for working on pinball machines and and such. Those are you know, nice um, nice ones to carry carry with you, and you can get those relatively cheap. Yep. you yep. can pick those up at Sears. You said you yep. you. Walmart Walmart,
2: yeah, the weller ones you can find at Walmart or uh Home Depot Lowe's has right them as well
1: uh now, once you go up to a desk station um, uh or uh, is that the right word for it, one that you put on your bench, yeah, um, which is you know going to be a two piece deal you've got your base and then your uh the iron kind of fits into a little holder. I have two two of those and they're both Weller stations. They're in the, you know, mid $100 range and they go up from there. Yeah. Uh and there are cheaper ones that, you know, a lot of people are very happy with in the say starting at maybe $75. Uh what's that brand I see all the time? It's and I uh, the pronunciation it's I've heard it say people say Hako or Hako
2: oh haku or uh, whatever <laughs> yeah.
1: i can spell yeah. it but we all know what I, what i'm talking yeah. about i think those those I are find. good for the uh those are good for the money yeah. and uh you know we in houston here we have uh fries electronics that carries uh actually both both of those brands um yeah. and you know they're they're both good um now as far as desoldering goes there's there's two ways you can go you can just use your regular soldering iron and then they have a the solder suckers which are really cheap you know twenty dollars or less and it's just a little vacuum spring-loaded vacuum thing and you you know (laughs) suck the the solder up yep and those those are good um depends on how much work you're going to do i think this is
2: where this is where you have to decide how much time you're really going to spend because you can use a and i did my first four or five um um Cap kit monitor rebuilds with a solder sucker, and um, and you can do it that way, and it works, and it takes care. Then you get your first desoldering soldering gun that's got the, and, and you, you never went back, did you? Go back, and I'm like, that's the best 250 bucks I've ever spent.
1: <laughs> and I, you know, I did skip over solder wick, and I still have solder, and I still use it occasionally, almost kind of for touch. I, I use it every once in a while for for some odd reason but i
2: use a solder wick when i can't find anything else (laughs) yeah
1: that's (laughs) okay so the thing we kind of uh talked about briefly is the desoldering um the desoldering guns now there's two flavors of this it's kind of the same as the solder uh the soldering iron you have a handheld gun style and then you have a a base unit and i actually use the handheld version of that that's what i have and you know, as long as you get a decent one with well, you know, with desoldering guns there aren't too many cheap ones mm-hmm. just because people, you know, they're not as common as soldering irons. So, yeah. you know, most of them are going to be, you know, pretty good. And do you have the Haku? I do.
2: I do. And that's what I have and it's what about 250 I think. It was. Yeah, you know, I've right. had
1: it for this one I've had for about 5 years and it's uh, I've, I also have a Pace uh bench model but that i Mm -hmm. probably haven't turned on in five years just the Uh, you know the the portable gun i can take out in the garage and work on something if i need to it's just it's just handy
2: yeah and we have a base unit ken has his base unit at the game preserve and we used it forever and for the first three four years and then we got the haku they went on sale and we bought one for the game
1: preserve and haiku. Isn't that the poem that you know the, where you have the five syllables, four syllables, then five uh, haiku? I don't know what you're talking. about. <laughs> you have about, no idea dude. what I'm
2: talking no, about. No, no, you just have the, <laughs> okay. Yep. Sorry, that was my poor
1: attempt at a joke. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs>
2: but but we got the other. We, anyway, we got the handheld gun. We've never gone back to that because you can use it on the workstation. It works. And I actually I bought mine when I started Key Arcades. Um, I guess it was two years ago when I started key arcades or maybe, anyway, and, or maybe it was a year ago. Anyway, I've already, I've had to replace tip on it. Mm-hmm. I've used it so much and the inside. It, it's, and you can buy new tips. You can buy the, the, and I'd use the snot out of it. It's a great little mm-hmm. gun.
1: And w- with both the desoldering, um, the handheld desoldering pump, as well as the desoldering gun, you have to, I mean, you have to constantly clean it out. Yes both of them they they you know yep. they suck the solder up but it's, it <laughs> then you have to, it's yeah then you can have the big clumps of solder in there but
2: you know eric i don't know if i would say if we were talking about okay what do you need to get started on the thing i don't think a sea c-soldering gun no would that's be something
1: that's a little more advanced now since we did mention multimeters there is something i want to talk about that's kind of in along the lines of that if you're going to be doing board repair uh A logic probe is a good thing to have, and luckily they're cheap they're cheap, yeah, it's like fifteen dollars yeah, I have they're, cheap. they're they're not i don't have as many as I uh, have multimeters, but they are scattered about through yeah. i have you know a couple outside a couple of these so well, you know the really cool thing about for me when I got the logic meter i
2: i i every time I hook up a lot of logic meter and I use it and I'm like probing on the boards and things I just can't help thinking every time well that that's cool. I can push that <laughs> I see that work. Oh, that's I can see I can electricity. See, yeah, I, can see, I can see this board talking, the components of this board talking to itself. It's awesome. It's just fascinating. And I guess
1: we could briefly, disc- you know, well, okay, hey, Eric, what's a logic probe? Yeah. So a logic probe is just, you have two alligator clips on it for your, it connects to your positive and to your ground. That can either be five volts or they can, if you're, you know, it can actually hook up to 12 volts if you're working on CMOS chips. Uh, but anyway, the point of it is, it lets you see. It's kind of like a multimeter, in that it will um, let you know if it's at the what you're probing is at five volts, or if it's at ground. But more importantly, it will let you know if pulsing is going on. So it can catch fast pulses, slow. It doesn't let you know, hey, this is a fast pulse, hey, this is a slow pulse, or what it's doing. But it will let you know there is activity on it, uh, and that's helpful. Like a You'll, you can see the path of the data and you can, maybe it's to a certain point and then you, you should be seeing activity and you don't. Or you will see that one of your data lines or address lines is uh, stuck high or stuck low. Meaning it's stuck at you know, it's it's pulled down to ground or pulled up to five volts, indicating a bad chip, you know, somewhere. Um and it helps you follow the path of, you know, if you have a, a break in your circuit where, you know, you've it's you know, one chip is outputting and where it's supposed to be receiving on the next chip, you it's don't have anything. It you know, so it's it's very helpful in, in that respect. Well,
2: you know, and one of the places that I have have seen it and I've used it is that Uh, back in pinball machines on the driver boards Mm -hmm. you have what i call a driver chip that then that takes takes information from the the cpu and then splits it to the various um, transistors that then Mm -hmm. fire the things and i have had a a a coil that's not firing well, I check the coil. Coil's good. I follow it back to the uh,
1: go backwards to the back driver to transistor the driver
2: and the driver transistor, and and you know, I've either replaced it or I'm testing it. Or you can actually test it by probing it, and it clicks, bang, 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 and it hits that. Right, but. So the transistor looks like it's working. So you go, okay, well, the transistors must not be getting a signal. So how do you know that the transistor yeah. is not getting a signal without just pulling the chip and replacing it? Right, so instead of probe. shotgunning, instead of like replacing
1: yep. all components going backwards, you can take that logic probe and see Put it on right up guy. to the main driver transistor what, you know, what, you're, what you're seeing there. Yeah. And it can catch, like if you, well, okay, so what Rusty is talking about, like say your pinball machine is firing a solenoid, it's that pulse is going to be very fast. You yep. may, if you put your multimeter on it, you probably won't even see it. You won't see it. it. It'll happen so fast. But that Logic Pro, you'll get one little, you know, one little quick beep on it, and you'll be okay. It's good. Yeah, go. we're, we getting, we're getting we're getting what we need yeah. to get. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a, another good tool. How, okay, anything else you you would say?
2: Um. Oh, you gotta have a you gotta have wire strippers. Oh you well, gotta well yeah, right. Good <laughs> hand, yeah, and that's not what's normally that. I don't think we would cover that with what people normally have in their toolbox. Mm-hmm. A set of a good a decent not your cheap two dollar free Yeah, don't
1: don't go to harbor freight yeah get, get we're a, not sponsored by harbor freight are we i hope no. we're not going to lose our sponsorship <laughs> I there are yeah. a lot of things at harbor freight yeah. i own there is
2: I, I get a lot of hot stuff at harbor freight too but but a pair of wire strippers is not is one not of one them. of them yeah
1: and you know there's a lot of different types and i'll tell you what kind i like and you can tell me what kind you like you know there are there are some that are, like, they call them automatic strippers. You know, they kind of have this whole big mechanism when you squeeze them. they when pull, pull, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, there are, you know, ones that you can select. You know, it'll have indentations for all the different gauges. Uh, the kind I like actually are just, you know, you, you kind of have to use – I mean, they're just um, – you put the wire in it, and how hard, how much you pull in is what gauge you select, you do uh, it all by field. But that's just field. from so many years of, of yeah. using them that that's just the best yeah. for me.
2: Yeah. And, and I, that's also like using your pocket knife,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and are using your teeth? Mm-hmm. I stripped a lot scissors. of scissors. Scissors yeah. <laughs> yeah, I it, yeah, I've, I've used to, I've used my teeth on a lot of wire. But uh I would recommend live wires in live, in the house, right? It, it tingles. <laughs> uh, get that little thrill every now and then. The but for those folks that are that are starting out that that's doing this, the getting the wire that has the multiple indents where you're, you mm-hmm. you've got the different gauges right there, I would recommend and get a heavy right. a heavy pair don't get the little flimsy that's true that
1: that wire strippers are another thing that you want to spend Spend a little money. Spend a little it. money on it. Yeah,
2: and and we're not talking much. We're talking still less than $25. do not go to
1: the auto parts store to buy yeah. your wire strippers. Yeah. They they all have the same. They're combination crimpers and wire strippers, Yeah, and it. they're no good. Yep. Yeah, and and so yeah. Home, Home Depot has some good ones. Home Depot has some nice ones, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah, you can find them. It's in fries, and things would carry them, too. But, but yeah, definitely get the indents ones for you guys first starting out. That's certainly That is certainly something you're going to need to have.
1: All right. So we've got voltmeter, soldering station, logic probe, wire strippers. And, you know, along the lines of wire strippers, I use crimpers a lot as well uh, for crimping terminals on. Mm. Like, you know, when you're wiring your uh, power supply up, uh, you know, you need to crimp ends on it.
2: Pliers work. (laughs) (laughs) He laughed and he's right. I say that in... For us starting it, for someone that's, I've repaired a lot of, <laughs> a lot of games with, with, with plired crimp. Yeah, right. I think. So, he, he is kidding. Don't, don't, <laughs> yeah.
1: don't crimp. Uh, yeah. And once again. In a again,
2: pinch, it works, you know,
1: but. it's Once yeah. again, Home Depot has some, what is that company? Green something at Home Depot. They, they, uh, um, uh, have good, pretty good. Wire. Basically, yeah. if you spend $20 on a set of crimpers, uh. Yeah, it's going to be a yeah. it's going to be a good set.
2: And I've got I've got two sets. Each set has multiple sizes, and right. I actually have two sets because I have some sets for the really small mm-hmm. Molex. Then I have another set for the bigger um, power supply mm-hmm. board.
1: Now, you you just said a word. Maybe we'll talk about that uh, briefly. You said Molex, so I have a whole kit. I have a, a tray, an organized tray full of. Like Molex connectors, all the, um, you know, you, they have special crimpers that are yep. made for, like, like if you think about your power supply in your game, that big white connector when you unclip it, well, in, you can build those plugs yourself. Yep. And not, sometimes you have to. Not only can you, but many times you should. You you need to ha- be prepared to be able to. Rebuild you know, those. you could find another plug that has wires coming off of. You can cut those wires. You can solder into those existing wires. And, you know, when you look at it, you're like, man, I sure wish that looked a little bit yeah. better. Uh, and, it's, you know, the, the crimpers for, you can't use the same type of crimpers for both. They have special crimpers that are made just for those little connectors, those Molex uh connectors and i say molex molex is kind of like you know people would say xerox for hey go go xerox this meaning they want to go copy it xerox is just a brand well molex is a brand but i kind of use that term um for most people do yeah there's different different types of connectors and not all of them are compatible but um i have a you know a whole set for for doing that and you know once you once you start doing that like man i can I can make this look good and I can do it right if I have the the the, right the, pro- the proper tools and components for that. Yeah.
2: And that's really where you get into is, you know, do you have one machine or are you going to have two or three machines, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's where you start start building your arsenal The tools as as you collect because I guarantee you, you get one machine they're like rabbits. You're going to get another yeah. one. Yeah. It's
1: just like tattoos. Yep, you're going to get You're going to keep keep going. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and you know i have i have i don't even want to think about how much money i have invested in tools for doing arcade repair but that's that's the fun in it for me is is doing the repairs so i have you know the next we talked about the uh voltmeter next next step is the logic probe next step after that it would be the oscilloscope uh, that's where you're getting pretty deep into it. I don't know. We're st- we've been going on this topic for quite a while, so maybe mm-hmm. we'll skip over that and talk about how to use the oscilloscope. Uh, but some of the other let's just you know talk about some of the other uh, devices, tools uh, that you like a EEPROM burner. Uh, you lets you read and write your you own know, EPROMs.
2: But you know what? Before I would jump to the EEPROM burner because you can always. You can actually just buy the chips from somebody else pretty cheaply if you need a set of chips. What I would probably put in front of this, and you can you can agree to disagree with me, is the uh, the little transistor testers now that Mm -hmm. you can get.
1: Oh, right, yeah. There is a uh, man that came out about two years ago. Yeah, and they're really cheap, like like twenty bucks, twenty bucks, and you you have it has a little socket. It's called a ZIF socket, zero insertion force socket. You put your component in there, whether it's a resistor, a capacitor, a transistor. uh, an SCR a uh, a MOSFET you know whatever and it will identify what the component is not only identify what it is but you know tell you what the value is what the value is, and if it's a transistor, okay, this is the emitter, this is the collector, this, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, this, uh, this is the base, or if it's a MOSFET, you know, here's the uh, source drain gate, you know, it's it, it yeah. will tell you, you know, what everything is. It won't tell you what the part number is on a transistor. You have to kind of, you have to do the leg work on that as far as matching it up to, uh, you know, let's say you take a transistor out of a game board, but it, you can't read anything on it. What, you know, what, and, you know, you need to figure out what it is. Well, you can, you know, find out, what type of transistor it is what the gain of it is yep. and so on and so forth. So yeah, I agree that's a that's a yeah. great suggestion. Yeah, and Rusty. for
2: 20 bucks it it's worth it. I use it Constantly, it, it's even smart enough to know your your uh, capacitance. If you stick a capacitor in there, it'll actually tell you whether it's a it's a two twenty or a four seventy, or it's actually smart enough to do that. But, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I pulled out a cap, and he was like, "Oh, Brian Goss was up at the thing. We were replacing the caps on a. Um, he was trying to test the capacitors on the uh, the graphics card." in our uh, fix it felix game went out and it was the, the capacitors were bad you could tell two of them were swollen up and they would need to be replaced he was he was going to pull them out and test the other one i said what are you doing he said well, i'm going to test these and see if they're any good i said dude they're 50 cents apiece. piece <laughs> i got a bunch of them right over here I, just throw it away and put another one in there and uh so and that's just and and i guess what my my point here is is that it's smart enough to know and be able to handle the the level of capacitance but um why test capacitors? if if you go through the trouble of taking it out, <laughs> put another one in and be done with it be done because all it's doing there is testing under a s a um a simulated load mm-hmm. it's really not and do a full load constant use?
1: well there's also another uh, component another thing to talk about with capacitors and that's uh equivalent series resistance which is an important thing and your average that little the little cheapo twenty dollar it it's not going to test that there's uh, uh so there's some that, that it, capacitors get a little bit deeper. than than other components so and ken uh,
2: had an esr meter mm -hmm. and he used to use he said here look just how you use you test your capacitors and and i and i did that when i was listening to ken and and he's ken's a brilliant man and he was saying hey you do this you test this 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 and and show me how to test the capacitors and i thought well that's pretty cool then i started buying capacitors realized they're 50 cents a piece and i was like what my (laughs) time's worth more than 50 cents once
1: you've taken it out (laughs) yeah pull it pull the new (laughs) put another one in (laughs) Well, you know, and there are a few other, you know, once again, I was just kind of uh, uh, mentioning other, you know, the oscilloscope, that's going to be really advanced, the uh, uh, EEPROM burner, a little more advanced, the EEPROM eraser. Uh, you know there are a lot of tools that I have that when you dig in deep into board repair, you're yeah, going to need. Yeah, yeah.
2: And and as and actually, I think a lot of time as for me, you know, I started out going, okay, well, here's some of these things that I need. And then when I started Key Arcades, I went out and I put a chunk of money down mm-hmm. and and bought decent. I bought a power supply, uh, a variable power supply mm-hmm. system. I bought. Um, the Haku. I bought the. I bought lots of different stuff, and I bought a laptop to go through all this stuff. So I, I really spent invested a lot on it But if you're just got a computer, you just get one or two games, and you're just getting into it. Start easy. How do you know you need a logic probe? First time you need one. <laughs> then you go buy one because they're out there there. And and you know, you first time you need a logic probe, just go buy one. It's fifteen bucks, twenty bucks, you know. And do you need to go buy one? Right now, well, if you get a game and it works, don't go buy it and just have it sitting there. Right. What do you need? Then go get one. Right. (laughs) So, At least my opinion, anyway.
1: All right. Well, I think uh, we've we've, we've, uh, talked enough about that. Man, we've been talking for a long time about nothing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we should go on to some questions. What do you think? Let's do that. I guess we can uh, go in order. Okay, let's uh, let's look at this first one. You want to read this one, Jared's? Jared said he got a arcade Star Wars
2: machine, and the only thing I see is red, green, and blue dot in the middle of the screen. Any ideas?
1: So he has an Atari Star Wars, which is a uh, vector game. And that's, for what he's asking, that's rather important to know that this is a vector, vector game. game, a color vector game. Yep. And all he has is a red, green, and blue dot in the very middle of the screen. Any ideas? Yes. Several Got some ideas. great ideas, and there are several things to talk about here. Okay, the first thing I want to talk about is all, is what they call a spot killer circuitry in a vector monitor. So, what's going on? I guess I should talk a little bit about what what's going on with a how a vector monitor works, or what it means to uh, call something a vector game or a vector monitor. So, a vector game draws its screen by making lines from point to point instead of a raster game, which we're not even going to talk about how you know what a raster is. We're just going to talk about vectors. So if the game board quits sending out a signal telling where the line should be, where where it should be drawing, then it will just rest in the very middle of the screen. If there's no activity coming from the game board, it's just going to be a dot in the middle of the screen. All right. Now that little dot, if it just stays in the middle of the screen, can burn out the phosphor uh, material that's on the uh, CRT tube. So they put some circuitry in the game in the game monitor that kind of watches the X and Y signal coming into the monitor, like how far left and right it should be, and how far up and down it should be. And if there's no activity on it, it's it's supposed to shut down the gun, the uh, the beam so that you don't get a burn in the middle of the screen so if it is at its normal brightness if 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 uh jared hasn't messed with the brightness on the game and i'll tell you what i mean by that in just a moment then that means this the game board is not somehow he's not getting uh movement on the x and y axis and the the spot killer circuitry is not shutting down the beam now I said that uh, if, uh, you know, if everything's working properly, if the, I'm sorry, I said if the brightness is set like it was before, uh, you can, if your brightness is turned way up on the monitor, if you're like, man, I, I can't see a, I don't see a screen on here. I don't see any kind of activity. Let me turn the brightness up. Maybe it's just too dark. Well Let me keep turning it up. I still don't see anything. If you turn it up, all the way full brightness it's going to kind of i guess you could say overpower not overpower but it's gonna it's going to show you that dot in the middle the spot killer circuitry can't can't kill all of the beam so that that's a you know make sure the brightness isn't turned all the way up and defeating the spot killer circuitry so let's assume that the brightness is not turned all the way up then, that, like I said, that means that there is no activity on the X and Y axis of the game board. So, you know, look for the simple stuff first. Make sure you're, um, you, know, you don't have any kind of break in the uh, connection that's feeding the X and Y signal into the monitor. Um, next, what you want to do is, you know, look at your schematic for the game. Identify you're going um, to have X and Y output from the game board, and you're going to have red, green, and blue. Black and white vector monitors, you'll have X, Y, and Z. Z is the brightness, but there's only one color, so it's just, they call it Z. For color vector monitors, it's going to be X and Y, you know, X is left and right, Y is up and down, and red, green, and blue intensity. So find your X and Y signal coming from the game board. Get your meter out, put it on AC volts, see what you get. If everything's working properly on the game board, you're going to get somewhere between I would say one and four volts. Uh, it's going to vary on the X and for both the X axis and the Y axis. That means activity is coming from the game board. This is going to cut your problem in half. This is going to let you know is is there a problem with the game board or is a, there a problem with the monitor? If it's a problem with the game board, this is going to get kind of deep, and it's not, you know, I will need more information to be able to go any further with it, but if it's, uh, if you do see activity, then you have to look at the uh, circuitry on the monitor, kind of follow the schematic, see where it goes through the, um, see where it goes through the spot killer circuitry, check all of your voltages. There are, there's a uh, positive uh, power supply uh, on that uh, chassis, and there's a negative. Um, Most Star Wars, most Atari Star Wars would come with a Wells Gardner 6100 monitor, a WG6100. Some of them come with the um, uh, the uh, the uh, Ampliphone monitor, but chances are it's going to be the Wells monitor. But either way, you're going to have a positive power supply voltage and a negative power supply voltage on the uh, deflection board. So check that first. That's the easy thing to check. And, um, then, uh, you know, next kind of, you know, you're just gonna have to follow the circuitry and follow the X, Y, uh, signal through the, uh, through all the amplifiers on it, and make sure that's all, uh, working correctly. And my garage door just opened. That means I have to pause for a minute and go help unload. Help so we'll unload be right kids. back. Okay. Rusty, we're back.
2: Yeah, little one's taken care of now.
1: <laughs> so let's move on to the next one. Uh, I guess I'll read this one. Tom, I have a Police Trainer 2 arcade game that needs a new chassis board. Any ideas where I can get one? Mm, man, that's uh, not a lot of information, is it? No, it's so- not.
2: And and here's the question I have for you, Tom. When you say a new chassis board, are you talking about the chassis on the monitor? Or are you talking about the game board?
1: Yeah. Right, so we'll but, uh, let's, let's we'll make an assumption that he's talking about the uh, the monitor because you know that's a pretty common term for the for, for the the PC board. It's kind of odd that they would use the word chassis for you know chassis is you think of that as kind of like a structural item, but yeah. when you talk about monitors, you know you're talk, when you say the monitor chassis, you're talking about the game board itself. Yeah. So since he has a Police Trainer Two, which is a shoot 'em up game. Um, and let's, let's say, let's take this question, question down a different path. If he's just going to replace the monitor instead of replacing the board for the monitor, what's the important thing that we need to know about a, the, a shooting game like this? LED LCD monitors will not work. Right. The, you have to have the, a CRT style Monitor. They're the only ones that are really. When it comes down to it, they're the only ones that are bright enough to uh, trigger. You know. And there's another uh, question about a uh, a shooting game down you know, on here. I don't know if we could possibly combine these two. So let's just. You know what? Let's just let's talk about that. shooting games for a little bit. Okay. And how the gun works. You know, you you think of a gun. You think of a gun as an output device, right? Yeah. <laughs> Either bullets or. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Right, see but something? it's not on a on an arcade machine. It's not. It's it's something. It's a it has a, it still has a lens in it, but it's receiving light. So when you pull that trigger, if you could if you could see things in super slow motion, the part of the screen. I mean, it, basically the the game can interpret if it's getting the correct spot on the screen by input from the monitor to the gun.
2: Eric, let, let me let me see if we can if I can clarify this. See if this is if my knowledge is right or it's wrong. If I'm not mistaken, when you cl- pull that trigger, the whole screen for that quick instant, the whole screen goes completely black except for where the valid targets are,
1: mm-hmm. where there's a white dot, right? And I think it's a little more. I've never used a high speed camera on it oh years many 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 years ago when i was a young man i played around with some light pen stuff on computers and it would kind of do that it would do a quick scan uh, across the screen and when you know the light output of the monitor was in that spot to receive from the light pin it knew it was in the right spot so some may scan across some games may if there's only one target it may just have a blob of light in that area yeah. you know if you freeze framed it some may you know, like I said, some may scan across so that the gun can determine if it's fast enough it can determine where exactly it is, yeah. you know, and I think that that's something that a lot
2: of people just you just need to realize these computers are incredibly quick, mm-hmm. faster than we can see. Right. It can scan the whole screen,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the gun can see. And what it's doing is, it says, "Okay, well, I'll pop a dot at the top left corner and see if the gun sees it." Right. Because I know you're pointing at the top left corner. Nope. Okay. So I move it over a little bit and pop it again and see if you can see it. And it can do that so fast.
1: That you can't see it. Yes, yeah. finally.
2: And then finally, when it pops that point where the gun is pointed, then it says, "Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's where we that's are. That's dot number forty-seven. Mm-hmm. Forty-seven is. Oh, there's a target there. So yeah, let's score him something. Because like on the police trainer, there's multiple targets that could be on screen at the same time.
1: Now, as far as gun games go, you know, you that. once again, simple stuff first. Yep. Clean the lens on the uh, the gun. Make sure you know, look down in the the look down the barrel of your gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you? You know, and we
2: get this a lot at the at the game preserve. Was the gun dropped? Because you, those you've got the a sensor in there, or the sensors in there, their lenses—they're they're trying to focus to a very narrow point. And if that gun gets dropped, and that lens or the the pickup sensor has been shifted, you're not going to get ever get a target selection.
1: Next thing on any kind of uh, gun game, clean. Take your monitor bezel off. Clean the screen. Make sure it's bright enough. That sounds so simple but it it's very important on the gun games.
2: Oh my god, I tell you what, yesterday the guy brought in that cabaret um uh, uh Gallagher, Pac-Man, mm-hmm. right? And he says and he says and I can't get it it's just not very bright and I can't seem to get the focus and I said well, you need to clean it. <laughs> And he said, what do you mean? I said, man, I said, before we even try, because he wanted to put a tube rejuvenator on it. Right. And I said, I've got one. I was like, but dude, gee, I, we need to clean it first. And he said, is it that bad? I said, oh, yeah. And and he pulled it. And I said, and we're not just going to clean the top. We're going to clean. We're going to take the glass off. We're going to clean the top. We're going to take the bottom of the glass. We're going to clean the tube. And and he was pulling the tube off, And one swipe, and it was just, just black. black. Right? It was just solid black of dirt. And you couldn't see it. And once he did it, it was amazing how clean it was. Well, that will mess up a gun game, yes, it will definitely mess up a gun game.
1: And of course, most most gun games have diagnostic tools yeah. in them to let you know if the the gun is working. But yes, and so police this, trainer does right. And and uh, yeah, you've said you've had a few yeah, police I've got trainers, two. Yeah. You, and. Um, you know, but that's just kind of important to know for gun games in general. Just you know how they work, and there is there are other types of gun games like the, what's the what's the name of the Aerosmith one? They've uh, Revolution X, or there are certain gun games that have the gun itself is mounted permanently on the control panel. And, oh
2: yeah, uh, my my. Uh... Zombie Raid is that way,
1: and some, Terminator's of, that some way. of those are done they will have potentiometers so yes. it knows where the gun is, so you can actually upgrade to an lCD those work in a completely different yes. manner, yes. Uh, but for most gun games the gun the games where you can hold the gun in your hand, they all work like they that they all work like that
2: yeah and, and we have done absolutely nothing to solve tom 's problem with his as a new chassis board. Anywhere you can get one. Well, Tom, before you start saying, hey, you know, you need to get a new chassis board. Well, the question I have is, is why are you saying you need a new chassis board? Have you burned that one completely? Right. It, is it missing? Is it, Or do you just need to pull it out and get it rebuilt? Right. You can get these chassis boards rebuilt for about 125 bucks. Just send them out and And, get and them you know, if
1: you want to attempt it yourself, it's, it's significantly cheaper. But if you don't feel comfortable doing that, if you have the skills to take the board out, just like Rusty said, there are plenty of people that can do the repair for you, that you can ship it off to them. And, and you know, I've repaired a lot of monitors. I don't re- recall any chassis, any PC boards that were so far gone that I couldn't fix them. I don't remember, you know, any holes blown through yeah, any of yeah. them. Well,
2: exactly, and, and, and I actually have a police trainer, too, that's in a cabaret cabinet. <laughs> it has a 38-inch monitor in it. Thirty-eight inch monitor 38 in a cabaret. Inch. I'm not a cabaret in a showcase. Cabin. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That would be what? tough. To <laughs> that would be tough. My God, that'd be huge. Um, but the this but what happened on it was there was a topper on it. They unscrewed the bolts from the topper, and the nut from the bolt fell, fell. down, landed on the chassis. They never dug it out, turned it on, and pow! Yeah, <laughs> there you went your chassis board, and I'm still working on that one. But it's not so far gone that I couldn't really fix it. So. Right. So it can be fixed. So the question is, why do you need a new one? I don't think you need a new one. I think you need to get it out and get it repaired. Right. Or pull it out yourself and repair it. Watch. If you're going to pull it, watch how to... De- de- um, to oh, Stop shocking yourself. Oh, the high-voltage discharge high v- it. Discharge it. There you go. That's how, right. Learn t- how to A police
1: trainer or two, was that uh, mid-'90s? What would you say that is? Uh, the reason why I'm, I bring that up is if you have a monitor... Uh, that was made say 95 or later. It will those will usually have a bleeder resistor on the uh for the flyback so it will self discharge. So. But you, you never want to just depend on that in, yeah. it, you yeah. know entirely. Especially
2: if the if, if there's problem with the chassis a lot of time there's a problem with the chassis board, it never charges the monitor anyway. But if you do get some charges to the monitor, it may not shut down properly. And I tell you what, that thirty-eight inch monitor, that dude throws a spot <laughs> yeah, it yeah. will light it will light up the room when it makes a spark it, it definitely makes a nice a nice spark you know I've,
1: i don't know that i've ever seen the specs but i think the larger the monitor the more anode voltage they put out on the flyback uh, i think uh, yeah, you know, I, I better don't. i better do my research before us yeah i, yeah, I, say I know it makes sure. a really nice
2: spark and i do know <laughs> this too and i showed somebody this just the other day on one is we pulled a board We pulled a chassis board. We rebuilt the chassis. took me about an hour. got it rebuilt because I was showing somebody how to do it. As we started to put it back, I said, before we do it, we're going to discharge this tube. Again. It's sitting there. Right. Again. And sure enough, it was a 19-inch monitor, but you could see a 2-inch spark across there. They build up. They build up just sitting there. Mm Mm-hmm
1: yeah so so so
2: definitely figure out how to discharge it pull that chassis board send it off get it fixed and you know
1: actually rusty you kind of bring up something interesting there because a lot of people think you know once you've disconnected the the red anode wire to the tube and you have pulled it away a lot of people think that the all that energy all that electricity resides in the circuit board but it's not no it's not it's it's in in the tube the tube you can think of it as the storage device it's a big capacitor what it's a great big capacitor and it will just kind of of almost like you know if you have a dead Sucks battery a air. it just i don't know where, yeah, <laughs> i don't comes. know the physics of how yeah. that works but yeah. it does it just it'll yeah. it'll, it'll revive itself a little bit it
2: will and it will so and i and i learned that the hard way i went to move one one day just put my <laughs> hand on top of it, and it shocked the you did that hand. once i did that once and like well, okay well now we know
1: <laughs>
2: yeah absolutely so that one and there was another one down here uh the Shane had a question about his gun game where the guns are not working. It's almost they're not getting power to them.
1: And technically, they do have power going going to the guns for the phototransistor. Yes, but once again, don't think of it as an emitting device. As a, it doesn't have any kind of beam coming out of the gun uh and you know refer to your schematic for that uh, let's see what game was he, he was talking about Jurassic, Jurassic Park lost Park. and we'll make an assumption that he's talking about both guns yeah. so you're actually on to good the right path good. there you do check your voltages first yeah. i don't have the schematic for that one pulled up but you do you do have voltage going to the gun for the photo transistor so that is actually a good starting point
2: and a good diagnostic part of that was to go ahead and i'm sure that game has a test mode in it put it in test mode and put it in calibration mode where you use to calibrate the guns and then you can at least see where the gun is is pointing on the screen. right
1: and it will make it will make a difference if you're talking if it's one gun that's a problem or yeah. if it's both guns
2: if it's both guns you certainly go to power go
1: to power yeah right right yeah. Let's move uh, down here to Darren. You want to read that one?
2: Darren, let's see. I have an arcade monitor that intermittently turns itself off. It can happen at any time playing a the game. Then the machine has to be switched off at the wall, turned back on again for it to come back on. I currently have a arcade 60-in-1 JAMA board in the machine. Does anyone know what's wrong? Well, we probably know what's wrong.
1: <laughs> so let's kind of break this down. He has a 60-in-1 board, the common jaMA 60 and1 board uh, and it turns itself off uh, you know he's saying it you know, is he saying is that the picture is the, going away or is the power you know it's yeah. kind of you know we always talk about playing blind and, you know are the sounds continuing if the sounds are still going on and the monitor is blank uh, that's what I'm reading on now. yeah then then the one thing that's kind of nice about these 60 and1 boards, is that they have dual output. They have the CGA output through the JAMA harness if you're using a, an older CRT monitor, but they also have a VGA output, and it's real easy to take your old computer monitor. I say old well, because good. most computer computer monitors now are HDMI yeah. DVI, yeah, or DVI yeah, or Display yeah. Port. Take your old computer monitor, plug it into that, and see if it's outputting a picture. If it's still there. Yeah. yeah, the picture's still there. You know these sixty and one boards, they're cheap, yeah. and not only are they inexpensive, cheap, but they're also eh, mm, kind, kind of they go so far as say is cheaply made. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. As in, they have they're a, saving money somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are they are inexpensive, and you know I've seen my fair share of bad ones of you know just all out failure or intermittent failure. Uh, so it's important to know if we're talking about playing blind going out or if it's just you know the whole the whole thing is going out if the whole if the whole unit is going out of course check your voltages first make sure you're you know you have multiple voltages on that you want to uh concern yourself most with the five volts that's what's really running uh the main part of the board so check the voltage first uh if the voltage is good um uh, You know, and it's the game board itself is still cutting out. Those things are just so cheap. They're not, and they're not really repairable. No, it's all surface mount stuff. They're just they're they're replaceable, is what they are. Easily replaceable. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. They certainly are. And and that's you bring up a really good point. Is that and and reading his note here, it says take you can turn it off of the wall and turn it back on again, and it comes right back. If it comes right back to me, that's not pointing to a monitor issue. That's again the the actual game board itself is, has, has given up the ghost for a period of time. It might have something in it that's getting hot. Mm-hmm. Once it gets hot, and that could be in a power supply too. Right. It gets hot, and it says, okay, I'm done. And then you turn off, it kind of gives it a chance to reset mm-hmm. until it gets hot again.
1: Could very, very easily be a bad power supply in mm-hmm. it. But this is – let's we're, we can jump back in the uh, show and talk about – multimeters this yep. is when you need your multimeter your meter meter not and you know you're not going to you're not going to turn your multimeter on and check it when it turns on you're going to leave the probes stuck in there and leave them in there and ca- you know run the meter outside the game so you know outside the coin door or whatever so you can watch the voltage and you know Fifteen minutes later, when the game shuts off, what's the voltage? Yeah. Uh, just, keep your, or just keep your motor just keep your meter handy, and when it goes off, oh yeah, Pro, grab your Steven. meter, stick it in, there and probe it, and see what see what you got.
2: don't turn it off; just probe it and see what happens. And if it that power's dead, you know where you're at.
1: All right, let's uh, move on to let's go to Isaac. Isaac, I've just gotten an, an eight. Okay, now, all right. <laughs> <laughs> nanu Nanu. <laughs> yeah. So there are there are some brands in the arcade world where I've heard so many pronunciations. T A I T O. How do you say that? Taito. That's how I say it too. But so many people will tell you, no, you're wrong. That's Taito. That's Taito. 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 Ta- taito. And Toyota. Toyota. <laughs> Toyota. Something. <laughs> yeah. Uh the and this is another one. I'm going to just say Naneo, and if I'm pronouncing it wrong, you know what brand I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Naneo, that's phonetically pronounced. (laughs) Uh, MS8-26SU monitor. When I turn the power on, it starts up, and there's a quick click, and it turns itself off. I have no idea what's going on with it. Any ideas uh, would help. When you turn a monitor on, you hear kind of a click noise and turn it back off. That's... that's, um, usually like the x-ray protection that is uh, shutting it back off. Now, okay, great. So what do we do about that? Um, There can be several things that you can check on that. If you get the schematic out, and I've I've mentioned this before, but every monitor has what they call a B-plus voltage, kind of like the main the main voltage rail of it, and it, it's going to be, you know, whatever it's, and I, you know, I should have pulled the schematic up for this one ahead of time. I remember in repairing one of these Naneo, and it may have been this, this same model monitor. I think it was a MS-8 or an MS-9. The schematics are pretty hard to find on it. Uh, but you know, it's going to have a certain B plus voltage. So check that first. Uh, and oftentimes when it goes into x-ray protection, it's, um, you may, you can have a bad hot, uh horizontal output transistor that's bad on it. But ba- basically, if the voltage going to the, uh, high, the going to the high voltage section, going to the flyback section is too high. The manufacturer has, um, has it set where it will shut itself off to keep from emitting x-rays. Uh, and so you have to look at the circuitry that, uh, that handles that and or it could just be you know not able to there's there are other problems that it could be but you want to focus on the uh, power supply section of the uh, the monitor so first check the b plus voltage if it looks good i would start with replacing the hot then the horizontal output transistor then beyond that you got to break out the schematic and kind of follow the voltage through and see what you know see why it's going into shutdown mode
2: and Isaac, when you got that thing out and you're 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 posting, you go okay. Well, I think we need to to look closer at the hot and pull it, or the you know, and test some of those. While you got it out, if it hasn't had a
1: um, cap kit done on it, do it. Right, you know that's that's a good point. Anytime you've pulled, you know, you're working on that monitor chassis, that monitor PC board do the cap kit on it you know capacitors are inexpensive you can get a whole kit for any monitor for about 20 bucks or less it'll take you you know when you just start doing it it may take you an hour and a half to do it when you become proficient you can knock it out in 30 minutes or less just like dominoes and it's you know it's something you should do as a as preventive maintenance yeah, you can knock them out at 30 minutes less unless it's a Nintendo,
2: Nintendo. EZ20. Oh, my <laughs> nothing god, Nothing
1: easy about that. No, there's nothing. Don't, <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, I figured I'm going to have to start charging more for the Nintendo EZ20s. <laughs> they are such a pain. <laughs>
1: All right. Which one do we want to do next? Uh, We actually already talked about Shane, so let's let's go go down to Jim. Let's go
2: to Jim. I am new to the arcade repair and collection. I recently bought a stand-up game with multiple games to choose from. Sound like another 60 in one board. Everything was fine until I moved it into another room. Then half the screen is not the same color as the other half. The games are fine, but it seems more green on one side and looks fine on the other. Not really 50 50, but pretty close.
1: How can I fix the issue? Well, so Jim- to summarize, Rusty, he's saying he moved the game from one room to the other and the color goes out. So, what do you suppose the solution to that would be? It's Seems pretty sim- simple to me, doesn't Very it? Very simple, Jim. I just pick the game up, put it back in the room, right? And in. Exactly. Get your colors it, back. It's obvious that it works <laughs> properly in that room. And Okay, okay. Like we're Jim. kidding. We're <laughs> kidding. <laughs> uh you know when you have kind of like a color bleed like that uh it's it it needs to be degoused uh if you have from way I'm the way i'm reading this and if we had a picture it would you know help out a little bit but um when you have discoloration and it it's kind of it's you know what's a good way to describe that it's not like a definitive line like a specific area it's just kind of a if you know, if you were spray painting, it'd be just a kind yeah. of a smooth. Like somebody smoothed. Yeah, somebody right. just blew a color paint across the front of it. Now monitors have a uh, most. Uh, you know, I think every monitor, uh, mo- at least. Mo- I'm going to say this. Most monitors have a built-in degaussing, de-gaussing coil on it, and it, the way it works is when that monitor has been turned off for a while. I'm not going to go into detail of the circuitry that handles this, but it, it, when you first turn it on, it activates that degaussing coil uh, for, I don't know, five seconds, 10 seconds. But it won't reactivate until it, you shut the monitor off. It, and this There's a little component in there that has to cool off. Uh, and it, what, you can do it again. So first thing I would try is just turning it on. If you like, turn it on. Let it run for thirty seconds. Turn it off. Go and the you know go do something else. Come back in another ten minutes. Do it all again. Do that a few times. If that doesn't work, then it's time for a degaussing coil. Um, those are you know you can I think those are well, about forty dollars or so forty uh, yep, fifty dollars yep, 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 and it's mine. a little magical tool. <laughs> really, all it is it's just a degaussing. It's just a loop of loop of wire. It's a magnetic coil and you use it there's a little bit of an art form to it i would say yeah
2: there is there is get on youtube you can see the thing find somebody that has got a degaussing coil but you know what eric we were joking a while ago about moving this thing and and putting it around but here's something that i wonder if we should consider if he took that machine Placed it next to something that has oh, a Oh, that's
1: a very good point. A magnetic a field. high
2: magnetic field. It could be a fluorescent light. It could be a speaker, like a, speaker, a home stereo a home speaker. speaker or something. They're sitting there. Something that's run magnetic coil. It can affect absolutely the, way the monitor out
1: Yeah, and if it's a strong magnet, I mean, it could be two feet away from it and still and still, still be able to do it. it.
2: Because remember, your electronic, your your electrons and your guns, they're all being controlled by magnetic fields that tell where those guns go and hit that screen so if you've got a strong magnetic field somewhere else that could be affecting that that could be he could it may be it'd be funny if he moved it back to the other room and it, <laughs> and it started working here we were it? joking but, yeah here we are messing with it but it could
1: very well be that possibility if, as you've got it set next to something that's just yeah maybe a home stereo a home subwoofer like yeah your, your audio system yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah i've seen
2: i've seen fluorescent lights do
1: it yeah All right, that was Jim, so I guess we are moving on to Kayla. Hi, I've been working on multiple arcade games. They all have different problems. One of my issues is with an Akari 3, the rescue game. The game turns on and plays, but the whole screen, including the graphics, tend to rotate up all the time. By that, I mean the entire screen skips horizontally. What do I do? Now, when we talk about monitors, you... you have on the back of it. You have your horizontal position, your vertical position, and such. But when they put the monitor in the game, sometimes it's laid out horizontally, like you know, like a uh, Defender would be a horizontal screen. Uh, Galaga would be a vertical screen. They you know flip it ninety degrees. It and when you when you have it vertical, like say a Galaga, when you start messing with the the all the controls on it they're wrong, yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah you know when it says horizontal, you move it and you're like wait a minute it's moving moving it vertically, so you have to understand the pos they always reference when they say horizontal position or horizontal hold, which we're going to talk about it's always assuming that the monitor is in that horizontal position, like say defender what's a you know what's another what's a newer game most most of the fighting games like a mortal combat that's that's yeah. also oh, a horizontal. lot of your sixty in one games. You are uh, vertically, mounted, vertical, yeah, vertical. Mounted like your Pac-Man, yeah. and and that's Dig why Dug to, and... a lot
2: of people. I've had people ask me, "Hey, can I get a version for this? Got like Pac-Man and things, and I also want Street Fighter and the other ones." Well, nope, sorry,
1: because you're. Yeah, and that's, you know. that's when you go to the nineteen and one. Those are the yeah, uh, the horizontal, horizontal. Then you get turned sideways, and you make a difference. So horizontal hold. That is what immediately jumps to uh, jumps to mind. They, uh, you know, the old. TVs would have horizontal hold and vertical hold, but really in the arcade, you really just have the um, horizontal hold. And it, you know, I would start, I would, uh, you know, look on the back of the monitor and see, uh, you know, play with that, see if you can uh, get it to uh, to quit scrolling from that. If that doesn't work, I would be concerned that you're not getting good sync with it. Usually if your sync wire Coming to the monitor, to the monitor, and there uh, on, on a lot of the older games, there are two sync wires. Newer ones, there's usually usually just one, uh, horizontal and vertical c- combined. Make sure that it has a, a you know that you're getting a good connection there. Um, if you don't, usually it's 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 not going to lock into the picture pro- properly. It can, but it usually won't. Oh, yeah. So I just, think this one's going to be something really simple. And you, not only that, but I would also adjust the horizontal position because if it's too far one way, it can kind of override the uh, horizontal hold. I've, yep. I've seen that happen yep. before as yep. well.
2: Yep. And I will say this too. The Donkey Kong board that we're going to look at today, mm-hmm. The monitor itself, I have a really hard time getting it to latch in mm-hmm. and stop. And honestly, I think it's because the pot itself is wore out. The adjustment pot mm-hmm. has an issue. Oh, yeah,
1: that's a that's a good that point. What could be
2: happening here mm-hmm. is that that adjustment pot is wore out at the spot that it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And if it is, you just need to get another pot and replace
1: it. Yeah, and you can you can cheat a little bit you can take the any of these adjustment knobs and you know one of the things i like to do is when i will just turn it full turn you know, back and forth back and forth about 20 30 times yeah. kind of cl- clean it out and then the next step is you can use a cleaner like deoxit, deoxit. uh and you know if that doesn't work yeah it's time to, time to uh time swap to the that replace out. the
2: yeah. and make sure you get the same one and and what's interesting like on the uh donkey kong there's four or five of those Pot adjustment pots all right next to each other, and they all look exactly <laughs> the same. But one of them's 50, one of them's 100, one of them's 10. The value
1: of the, the value
2: of the is different. So, when you make sure you look at your schematics, but don't just think you can swap number one with number two, just swap them and
1: see if they work because there is a very good possibility they are different Yeah, values. Well, that's all the questions we're going to go through today. So, what we're going to do next is pass this off to uh, an interview with ken graham this was this interview was uh recorded earlier in 2017 and ken is a not only is he one of the owners of the game preserve one of your cohorts up there but back in the early 80s ken worked as a programmer in at Williams Electronics, and this was kind of in the heyday, I, you know, this kind of right in the heyday towards the end of yeah. when everything was going, I don't know, maybe 80, yeah.
2: he said it was toward the end of his, of 82 or 83
1: yeah. maybe, and he's going to share with us some of the and uh, like how, basically how they would, uh, you know, build, the, how they would program the uh, the new games, and his experience there, he, you know, he, uh, he, he, he worked with a lot of the uh, the you know the famous programmers back then, and it's you know was a yeah, I've heard a lot of his stories, and uh, it's it's really interesting. So uh, let's uh, let's pass it on to that. And you know what? Before we do that, though, and Rusty, I saw you were about to say something. You know what we didn't do last time? What's that? Not one time did we give out our email address for. Oh. For questions, so, we probably
2: should do it early on because nobody's listening. T- yeah, bored now.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> if we can wake you up for just a moment, the email address is podcast at arcaderepairtips dot Podcast at arcaderepairtips Send us any questions you'd like answered. Also, any kind of tech topic that you would like to uh, speak of,
2: and any results that you have. yeah. yeah. If
1: we fi- helped you fix something, let
2: us know. If we told you totally wrong, and if read we you said down something
1: to... that you think is incorrect, hey, let Send us it. know. Let us know. We'd love to have that. that yeah, kind I may of be, too. I may have been doing this for a long time, but that doesn't mean I, you know, don't like to learn new things or learn something yeah. that I'm doing wrong or learn something that I could yeah. be doing better. Better,
2: yeah. yeah, or be surprised by something that 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 we thought this would do. Or there's many times I go, oh, that'll i just fix it. And you get it done, and you well, that didn't fix it. And then you look and you realize it's just something totally different that's just totally stupid that you didn't even
1: look at that could be. And simple. if there's any question that we go over and you're like, you know, if you're screaming at your radio or iPod or whatever saying, you, you should do it here, this is what you should do, and we didn't give a you know good, complete answer, let us know. We'll, we'll readdress it, and we'll be happy to hear from you. So once Absolutely. again podcast at arcade repair tips.com and uh let us let us know any you know what you what you'd like to hear or any questions that you have. So, real quick, Ken,
2: we have a Williams Star Rider game, video right. game. And it is a laser disc. I played it when it was brand new. Did you? Did yeah. you? So, we got one of those games in, somebody he Joe Raina managed to find one. We pulled it in. I think it's cool. It's a motorcycle, and I own a bike. and it, so, I like, so, I, so we get the game together. It's just in pieces. So we put it all together, and it has this old laser disc. We didn't think it was going to work. We put it all together. Ken's there. We've got it all snapped together because I'm excited about it. I want to see this thing boot and run. So we turn it on. And as the machine's booting, it goes through, even before it ever hits the laser disk drive, it's running through various checks of the computer, it, various tests, color tests, sync tests, things like this. It's going through these various different tests. This machine is booting up here at the Game Preserve. 30 years later, Ken, I'm sitting on the motorcycle because so I want to ride it. <laughs> and Ken's behind me. And as it's booting up and it goes through each of these processes, Ken says, I wrote that process. I wrote that process. I wrote a little bit of that one, but so-and-so did that. Oh, yeah, and I wrote that one, too. And he's sitting there identifying all these things that he wrote. And I turned around to Ken. I said, dude, I said, here we are 30 years later bringing this machine out of the dirt somewhere in just pieces. And now we're bringing up this game. We're going to turn it back to life. What's it like to stand there and watch this work you did 30 years? And he's like, man, it's pretty cool. He said, I kind of like that. It's kind of <laughs> neat. And it, and it really just kind of sent through it for, for us. It just kind of sent chills down. Just, just thinking, you know, here's somebody actually had his hand in this stuff and now we're bringing it up and working. But the main reason I wanted to bring that up too, uh, Brian Goss told us the other day, uh, that the guys that do the uh, Dexter Dexter boards mm-hmm. now ha- are releasing one
1: for the Star, Star Rider. Rider. Oh, So great. we're going to get
2: Star Rider running oh, at that's the Game awesome. Won't that be cool? Yeah.
1: Like I said, I played, I mean, maybe 84-ish or so. So that's 30, 33, 34 years ago. And I'm that was that. at
2: the end of their stuff. So that's yeah. pretty, pretty well, fancy that was, game, well, was What's
1: the trivia for that game? That is the only... Laser disc game that Williams ever made. Is it? It is. Yeah, it. it, it and that's it had to be at the end of the laser disc
2: run or so because. Yeah, I, I think so. I Maybe know. I don't remember. No, I don't. Well, I'm not sure. There were some others like Firefox and the yeah. the the uh, of course the ones that everybody knows, the Dragon Layers games and the Space Ace, they were they were pretty clunky, you know, left, right, left, yeah. right. But this one supposedly you're actually f- running through and driving through and it's oh, a yeah. very fluid game mm. and stuff. So, I'm anxious to see it. I'm really excited about seeing it and hopefully we'll see how quickly we can get it going. Yeah, but that's great. Dexter board
1: will be worth to put so it. So, that's in that a one. reason why you need to come to the Game Preserve. Always in the got something happening. <laughs>
2: Always got something happening.
1: Okay, well, we're going to sign off and we're going to pass it on to myself and Ken. Thank you, guys. Hey, guys, we are live at the Game Preserve in the Woodlands area of Houston, and I am talking to Mr. Ken Graham, who is one of the owners of the Game Preserve, but not only is he an owner, but he is a previous Williams Electronics. Employee back in the golden age of uh, of video games, which uh, actually, I guess that's going to go straight into the, the first question, Ken. First of all, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoy this sort of thing. So, back in, I say the golden age of video games. Uh, when did you when did you start with Williams?
0: Um, I started in oh god, it's so long ago. It was either eighty one or eighty two. And I That's think, a 1981 <laughs> or 82. I think
1: we're all pretty jealous of of being able to have worked at one of the manufacturers back in the heyday of the, like I said, the golden age of of these games. Uh, and so you started back 81 ish, and that was, I, I guess, you know, Defender was a relatively new release at that point.
0: Defender was, I think, uh, finished its run stargate was just finishing robotron was running joust was running
1: so those were all running simultaneously on the line yes so i know you know i know what what you've worked on I know your your famous game was the mystic marathon
0: but let's let's start with
1: this what projects did you work
0: on um well the first project i worked on was briefly <laughs> was the one that i was hired for um we were Williams wanted to make Atari twenty six hundred cartridges. And I was hired as part of a, a three man team to to make Atari cartridges. So were these games gonna be ports of already
1: existing games like Defender or were they gonna be new new content?
0: The original idea was to port the, the games that were in the arcades and then if we got time, you know, considering it was a three man team um, then we were going to look at the possibility of doing some original work, but originally it was it was to do the the ports of Defender, Stargate, Joust. Um, we're, they weren't sure they could do Robotron because it was
1: oh, intensive, uh, pretty intense computation on that. So I do remember that those games did exist for the Atari. But they were actually ended up being programmed by Atari, right?
0: They were programmed by Atari. Um, At the time that we were hired and started working on getting familiar with the the equipment to build those games, they were also negotiating with Atari, and Atari wanted to do them so badly that they signed what today would be considered a really bad contract. Um, Basically, it worked out that uh, Defender was going to be the first game, as I recall, and uh, they signed a contract that it would be out in something like six months. And there was a million-dollar-a-month penalty clause for wow. not coming out. Yeah. Uh, and,
1: and I guess I need to say, when you were hired, you were hired as a as a programmer. Not, correct. Not hardware design, but you were st- strictly a programmer. Strictly
0: a programmer. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Defender, I, if I'm not mistaken, they made about $9 million on it. Wow. Just before it ever came out the door. Uh, And then uh, Stargate, I don't think that was ever released. I think uh, Atari couldn't get that one quite right. Another situation where they have one button. There's only so much you can do with that one button, right? Exactly. And, uh, well, I mean, you had to play it with the joystick, so you had the the two other direction. You had uh, up and down, and then four. When one direction was thrust, the other direction was reverse. And so, and yeah, have, it was very, in, it was a tough And
1: and hyperspace and all. It just yeah, you didn't, have, didn't translate well to a one button well. joystick.
0: Um, they actually did much better when they, they brought it out for the Atari 400 and 800. They did okay. a much better port. Those were actual, those were the little computers. The little ones. computers.
1: Um, so, you started off in that area of the company. But when they realized that that was not a feasible operation, then you, they moved you over to the uh, arcade developer.
0: Well, not at first. Uh, we, kinda, we were told to sit tight and wait. <laughs> and uh, if any of you know me, sitting tight and waiting is not That's really not in your my thing. <laughs> vocabulary. So I went to my boss and I said, you know, give me something to do or fire me. And so he sent me down to the art department to get familiar with the uh, the art system that they had, which was basically uh, a, a joust board, a joust set, and then special ROMs so that they could use the, the joystick. They had a full eight-way joystick to move pixels around and create the cells that were used for the animation. It was pretty crude, uh, so... Now, do you consider yourself much of
1: an artist? No, I
0: I suck as an artist. But (laughs) um, fortunately, I wasn't doing the artwork. What I was doing was finding out what they thought was wrong with the system and then seeing what I could do to fix it. I see. And so I went in and and basically, I'm not going to say I rebuilt the the art system, but I certainly enhanced it significantly and added a lot of features. Uh, One of the features that they were missing was actually the ability to animate the cells. They could bring them up, and they could step through them as fast as they could push the button, Was as fast as they could animate them. So I actually gave them a, the ability to animate them and put stop pauses between the animations so they could actually show the programmers what it was supposed to look like. Do you remember any of the names of the artists that, the, that
1: were working on these, these games?
0: Yeah, Pam Erickson, Erickson was one. Um, uh, Jill and I I'm blanking Hendrix. So Jill and Hendrix, of course and, we
1: know all the names like Larry DeMar and and uh Eugene Jarvis that were the programmers or but you know some of these artists probably are not as, as famous or
0: yeah well in, what if you look on the on the backs of the uh uh pinball machines you'll see some of the names of the programmers Constantino uh, and then there was uh Oh, I'm blanking the gentleman who did uh Ah. Uh, mm. yeah I know. <laughs> it's, I'm dredging this stuff up I mean it was from 1980 something so so
1: from that point so you were doing you were automating that process uh what was right. next for you
0: next was um when I got close to being done with that I asked if there were any projects that needed somebody and there was actually a project that was going on that did need somebody. Christina Danofrio was working on something called Monkey Marathon. <laughs> and uh, she needed an extra programmer. She'd already gone through the first pass. Um, it might be a good time to back up and, and talk a little bit about the development process. Well, that was one of the questions. In fact, I'll just ask it now. It w- who came, up with,
1: if, who came up with the game concept itself? Was it the, uh, the programmer, or was it passed down from somebody else to the programmer saying, this is what we would like you to do?
0: Uh, the, answer to the simple answer to that is yes. <laughs> uh, basically, the way it worked was somebody came up with an idea. They went in front of the committee. They pitched it. If the committee, which consisted of uh, the vice president of, of engineering and uh, a couple of other people, if they liked the idea, they would tell you. If you were a programmer, they would give you the uh, an artist to help you draw the the sketches up and do all the the preliminary prototype uh, animations. And then you would build the game. If you were not a programmer, then they would give you a programmer. If you were an artist, then you did the artwork. If you were just a game designer, they give you an artist and a programmer. They would basically build a small team three maybe four people tops you'd have three months to build a prototype the prototype was that you had to play through a couple of levels so from beginning to from concept
1: in front of this committee when they said yes that sounds great let's do it three months from beginning to to a playable game
0: to a playable one or two level concept game
1: so maybe not necessarily complete, not but com- a playable game. A
0: playable game, yeah. So they could see whether or not the, the, the play was fun and whether or not it, it looked like it would be interesting.
1: Right. So that that's interesting. Now,
0: that seems really fast.
1: That seems like a, a tight schedule. Uh, we've, I think we've all heard the story of the uh, Pac-Man for the twenty six hundred, where the guy was given, I think it was a million dollars for, hey, if you can beat this deadline, this you'll get. Th-. And was there anything like that
0: with you guys? Did they get? Were there any bonuses if you beat the deadline? No, not really. There was. It was basically uh, once you got the prototype running, the, game, the clock started over again. You got another three months to build what was to be um, a game good enough to go out on location wasn't necessarily had to be finished but it had to be good enough to take out and see whether people wanted to play it or not and whether they'd get the hang of the game when they start playing it and i'm assuming that there were multiple games being worked on at the same time by different teams yeah at the same time that we were working on uh monkey marathon uh, that that became mystic marathon there's sort of a bizarre story involved in that but um at the same time, Splat was being worked on, uh, Bubbles was being worked on, Sinistar was being worked on, um, and then there were a couple of other games that never saw light Since of day. you were there when that was
1: going on, I don't know if you have the answer to this,
0: but whose voice was Sinistar, or is that completely computer-generated? No, that was actually somebody's voice. I believe it was the... Uh, I mean, I... I'm sure you could google it and then you'd probably get a better answer th- than i could i mean i I think I know who it is, but I'd rather <laughs> rather not say because I could be re- could be wrong seems like whoever it was would have been a
1: just a tough guy in person, right just by that voice <laughs> that evil voice well there was
0: there was quite a lot of processing on that voice <laughs>
1: uh. that was, uh, so was uh, i oh so was I guess. Steve Ritchie was already gone from Williams by that time, or was he already? Was he no, he you was still there.
0: Him? Yeah, I, well, I never worked with him, but Steve and Mark were both there. I'll only bring uh, that
1: name up because he was involved with so many of the voices on the different games, Black Knight and...
0: Yeah, um, no, he was over in the the pinball. The Apparently, before I joined, there had been some friction between the video game developers and the uh, pinball people, so they thought it best to put Keep the video game... Separated video game people were in a a separate office building about six or eight blocks away from the (laughs) the main plant. About the only time we went over to the main plant was uh, T-Bone Thursdays in the cafeteria. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I know you uh, I've heard your story about the coin doors
1: or lack of coin doors and one department stealing the coin doors from the other so that they could get the their games produced. Yeah that's
0: that's why if you look at the early defenders you'll see that they're They're a perfect match for pinball coin doors of the same vintage because they literally went over and stole the pinball coin doors. And obviously at
1: that time, there was such a huge push just to get these games out, right? I mean, any way you can, get get these things out the door.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, If you look at the architecture, pull up the schematics of a pinball machine and bring up the schematics of the video games, and there's a lot of the... uh, componentry that is very very similar right just
1: from working on the games the sound boards are the same between all right. and any you know, of i mean that's only logical i mean it's no no sense in reinventing the wheel just to
0: well that and and because of, they were similar they could use the same process for generating sounds they could steal the the canned sounds and then uh for the speech they had all of the equipment to digitize that speech down and compress it down for the ROMs. So
1: right, the uh, hyper hyperball pinball or kind of pinball machine. I think every sound out of that came straight from uh, Robotron Defender and Stargate, in a, and I mean that in a good way. It's you know, those sounds were fantastic of, of that era.
0: Yeah, well, if you go back, um, some of the pinball machines. I think that. Uh, Larry and Eugene worked on had some of those same sounds in them. I think if you go back to uh, uh, World Cup soccer, it has a few of the same sounds. Oh, really? Yeah, and then you go to uh, Blackout. Blackout has a ton of the same sounds and so on. Um, Yeah, because it was a lot easier to steal the sound library than it was to actually go and generate your own sounds. Uh, Right. It was sort of a, a, a magic art. There were only a few people who were very good at, at making the sounds that they wanted out of the...
1: So were there people dedicated to making just the sounds, or was that part of the programmer's responsibility?
0: No, there was actually somebody who was dedicated to, to making the sounds. Um, Mike, and I apologize, Mike, I don't remember your last name now. Uh, he was our, our sound guy. He, we'd tell him what sounds we wanted and what position, and he'd cut the ROMs for them. Have no idea what kind of voodoo he went through to get so him don't there. You
1: know if he was using like a, a, a keyboard, like a piano-style keyboard, synthesizer keyboard, or no, it was computer, nothing. No, or it, yeah, it
0: was. It was basically the way the development worked was all of our stuff was cross-compiled on a VAX system.
1: Well, you know, this leads me into one of the questions I wanted to ask is, I'm really curious from a hardware standpoint how. The games were developed. You know, we know how that things are done now. They're done in these high-level programming languages, but back then, it wasn't like that at all. Assembler. Right? So it was 100 as, assembler. Yeah, it's it's as low level as you can possibly get.
0: That's the only way that's lower is if you go down to the ones and zeros <laughs> directly. And so,
1: so can you tell me a little bit about the equipment that was being used? How you how sure. you com, how you programmed it? How you tested it? How you made changes?
0: Yeah, basically, um, if you know how the the boards are set up, you've got the CPU board that has RAM on it, and it has a couple of stock ROM chips on it, but every board had those same chips. So we'll ignore that one for a second. The key was in the the ROM board. Basically, they took all of the ROM out of it and replaced it with static RAM. There were little uh, daughter chips that had that rewired static RAM into the the ROM positions and then there was one ROM chip which contained the 6809 debugger and downloader and these were hooked up to our uh, VT100 terminals for those of you who remember those dinosaurs and the vt 100s had a serial port on the back that you could stream from the computer through to whatever was on the serial port, and that's how you would do it. You would send... St-
1: so you would just essentially load the RAM with your code. Right. Instead of having EPROMs, you would the, EPROM, the RAM took the place of the EEPROMs. You would shoot out your code to it. So in order to test your new code, you had to have a working board set for that particular machine. Right. And most just live, you would throw the code on there. Yeah,
0: most of us had, a, had a, an actual video game machine... In our rooms. Was, we it, was had, it in a cabinet? It was or? in a cabinet. It oh, was wow. a video game cabinet. It was all wired up. Uh, we usually had a couple of different uh, of the uh, control panels. Because if you've ever tried playing Robotron on a joust control panel. Where uh,
1: you can only go up and down? <laughs> or you can only go,
0: Well, you have to go up and down with the two different controls. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. We used to mess around with stuff like that. But... Uh, yeah, it was basically just a, a live mock-up of whatever game you were working on, the same control panel. If it, the controls didn't work right, you'd go down, you talk to the, the model makers and have them build you a new one. And a couple right. days later, you'd have a new control panel all wired up. So you
1: probably knew at the beginning, do we want a four-way joystick, eight-way, uh, anal- well, you didn't really have analog. You had the 49-way. Uh, that yeah. actually, that may have been a little bit later, right? What was the well, first that one? Came that in, that came
0: in in Sinistar. Blaster used it as well, but Sinistar was the first of the forty-nine way. Um, but you had your choice of mechanical or optical. Um, Joust came in both Fridays, right. and they had a, a four-way and an eight-way optical as well. Um, I was—I don't remember if I had optical or or switches on mine. On the Mystic Marathon? Yeah.
1: So I know that locally the games would be sent out to various locations. I know there was one. You've told me about one place in particular that a lady owned a uh, local arcade. You talked about the late nights there of of testing the games um, or late nights of going there to the place where they tested the games. But... Would the games be complete? would you wait until the game was complete before you would put it out for testing, or would you put it out like, okay, we've got the first three levels of it. I, w- I want to see if this is if we're headed in the right direction or do we need to make some changes?
0: No, for that, what we would do is uh, basically we we did that in house. Um, typically, we each played each other's games a Duh. lot, um, tested them, found little bugs, found little quirks in them and stuff like that. Uh, once I got to a point where, towards the end of the second round, you had to have a game that was complete enough to go out on location.
1: Were you were you rather critical of the other programmers? Would you, would
0: you find no. points of contention? No, we'd never <laughs> do not, that. Right? Of course not. No, I mean it was you'd find something and, and it would be like, oh, everybody, come here! This is really cool. <laughs> like uh, one of my favorites was. Um, in, on Sinistar, all of the pieces that you see on the screen are objects. Um, the little warriors that come around, the little gray warriors are objects. The little red guys who steal the crystals are objects. The little firing turrets on the center of the warriors are objects. And they had a bug in their code at one point that just popped turrets up on everything. So you'd be mining a, one of the... Clouds? Yeah, one of the the asteroids, and all of a sudden a turret would pop up and start shooting at you. (laughs) Or the little red guys that come screaming in to steal your crystals, and he'd have a turret and be firing at you. You know, you just taught me something. All my life, I thought those were
1: clouds. Those are asteroids. Those are asteroids. (laughs) Well, that's far more logical than clouds, right?
0: That's why you're mining them. They're mining (laughs) asteroids in space.
1: So there would be a few locations around Chicago where they would put, where Williams and I guess Bally Midway was in that, in the same town. Gottlieb. Yeah. Around, Gottlieb was, in, was in Chicago, right? Yeah,
0: Milestar was there, Sega was there, uh, Tato was there. Um, yeah, I mean, Chicago was really the hotbed in America of game development. Uh, in fact, there was a, a little bar downtown that we all used to hang out at called Silver Sue's.
1: That's what i was talking about
0: and that was i mean that would be interesting because they would bring all one of the things they would do is they'd bring a lot of the brand new games down there and uh so you
1: so this location would get not only the games from williams but from the other companies as from well. all the other companies so you as would, well you would go down there on a reconnaissance mission oh what's what's new from the competition
0: well it, yeah there was a little bit of that but i mean for the most part. Um, It wasn't, I guess you'd call it more friendly rivalry than you would call it, you know, a a real all-out war. Because uh, people would go between companies. Um, You'd leave one company, get picked up by another company. And, I mean, you know, we talked about it, you know, industrial espionage. But they're really...
1: Things were moving too fast for that, right?
0: Yeah, things, I mean, you had six months... To put a game together that you could push out to the street, and then maybe if if it did well, you could get another three months to polish it and finish it up for the show.
1: Now there were companies that would bootleg games, but that would they would take a finished product and bootleg it. Nobody was really stealing ideas from one to the other, or that was not common practice, was
0: it? Well, the what was being stolen were ideas. Uh, when I said that i worked on a game called monkey marathon that was sort of what happened was we were getting ready for the uh the next round of uh show and tell and our boss and the one of the head of marketing came in and said stop you can't do that you can't use monkeys why well because somebody else has a monkey game what do you mean somebody else has a monkey game well, one of the other people has a monkey game. Well, we can't use monkeys? No. Well, okay, do we? can we have a little extra time so we can recast the game? And they go, yeah, you get an extra month. So um, it turned out that the monkey game was Rampage, which is not exactly <laughs> That's a, not
1: really. That's more uh, dinosaurs you, or... Uh,
0: well, that, that's monsters, movie mon- monsters. Monsters, not dinosaurs, right. You know, but somehow Lizard, or enough, big
1: big lizards.
0: Somehow or another, they'd gotten a, a, a look at it when it went out on one of the sites for. And the only animal they had in it was the monkey. <laughs> so they were doing a monkey game, so we couldn't do a monkey game.
1: Now I'm not really sure how involved you were with the actual production, or or how much knowledge you had of the actual production of the games, but. When you were running these, you said earlier that they would be making several games simultaneously, or working on several simultaneously. I'm assuming right. that several were being, several different titles were being produced simultaneously, right?
0: Yes, correct. Um, actually, for those of you who follow those sorts of things, um, if you pull the serial numbers on the games, you will find that XXX01 might be a pinball machine. XXXX02 might be a Robotron. XXX03 might be a Cinestar. XXX04 might be another pinball machine. Basically they had books of the serial numbers. And they would just stick And they it would on just the they would, game coming out. Right, they would pull the page, pull the serial numbers, put them on the boards on the on the the cabinet if they had to, they'd stamp the serial number into the cabinet and then uh, write down what it was and take that page back to warranty or whoever got it from there so whatever was coming down the line it was not like all of the the defenders were serialed from x to x and all of the the uh, pinball machines were from y to to y plus something it was i got a page full of numbers. I'm sticking them on this. Okay, here's the next thing. Oh, it's a different machine but I'm sticking the numbers on it and so that's what makes it so interesting to try and figure out how many of what were made because it's not like you could just go, oh, the first one we found out in the field is 100 and the last one we found was 999 so there were 899 that were made.
1: So what I'm really curious about, since they were making all these games simultaneously, the Pinball and, and De- Defender or Stargate or whatever was being made at the same time,
0: do you know how many games were being produced daily? Um, I think I don't really have a good handle on that. I mean, I would go over there and watch the line, and I was just fascinated by watching them put those things together. Um. I know they were putting a lot more video games together on a daily basis than they were pinball machines. Just open up a pinball machine and look at all the wiring under there. I mean, As I understand it, talking with people and what I remember, I think it took about two weeks to put a pinball machine together from one end to the other. Now, of course, they would have five or six people working on each pinball machine so they could put out as many as those people could put out. But you'd have one person going and cutting all the wire for the wiring harness and somebody else laying it all in and, and, uh, you know, going and and soldering all the the pieces, all the toys and everything. And then they'd flip them over and put all the other things on and then somebody else. And I don't think much has changed with the way pinball machines are made now
1: from then. They still have the same... uh, the wall of where they make the harness with all the nails on it. To, I think everything's still the same. They st- have the same mach- Stern still has the same bed of nails machine that yep. makes all the indentations on the play field that's been used for 30 years. Is yeah, you- I mean,
0: it, why why sit and try and figure something out new when you've got something that works?
1: Right. Well, I'd like to go back. I know we talked about the the. the the process of making the new game, the Mystic Marathon. But I think you told me previously that you were involved in some other things with Williams. Okay, so um, was it when you boot the games like a, like a Robotron, and you have that the carpets? Uh, what do they call it? The rug? The um,
0: yeah, the test pattern.
1: The test. Now, weren't you involved with with that? Some of that? Well, I,
0: I rebuilt the uh, the uh, rug pattern. Basically, the the rug pattern is you seed a random number generator, and it generates a random number consistently because the way random number generators work is they're not really random. They look random because the numbers appear to be random, but if you start it and seed it with the same number every time, you will get the same same sequence of numbers. And so basically what that did was that allowed it to, to start at one end of the video RAM, and run all the way down to the other end, and that, when you went to go test it, you would seed the random number generator again and read every one of those bits again. And if they matched, your RAM was good, technically. Um, I got into a, a little bit of an argument with the, the gentleman who created the RUG test in that um, there are about, if I remember right, about 400 places where the bits are not actually tested. Because the rugs in the first two passes don't actually don't test those bits. Spot. They don't hit every bit. And so I happened to to know an Intel engineer and asked him how they did it and he gave me the specs. His algorithm. And I proceeded to use that for uh, uh, StarRider. And then uh, StarRider was a laser that was disc the game. was a laser
1: disk motorcycle yes. game, which I think there's one, yeah, in there's room, one right, isn't there? There's in one the back in corner.
0: the corner. One of these days we'll we'll get a laser and disc player or a replacement. that was the only laser disk game that Williams made, right? Correct. Yeah, they found out the hard way that that the laser disks the technology at that point wasn't very durable. If you kicked it a couple of times, that was it. The laser would go out of alignment and and now it wouldn't read the disk.
1: I did play that game when it was a brand new machine, so yes, I am that old, so uh, it was a it was a fun game from what I remember.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, it was definitely a fun game.
1: And you know, I don't think I've seen a working one in in well, since then they they are not a you don't see that game very often.
0: No, they're very rare because again the the weak point is the laser disc. Now, the gentleman who did the Daphne. For uh, Space Ace and Dragon's, Dragon's Lair. Lair, the replacement solid-state version of it has been working on a Star Rider version of it. Um, I've given him a little bit of help, not much, but you know what little I remember of it. And you know, hopefully, one of these years, he'll get it to a point where he can send it out, and we that may would get be a,
1: a really cool game to have. We up. would
0: have a, a working Star Rider.
1: Excellent. Any other notable projects you worked on back then?
0: Um, probably one of the ones that was more fun than anything else was uh, the Joust pinball machine.
1: Oh, I didn't know you were involved with that.
0: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm an uncredited tester on it. Ah. Mainly because Dave, his office was right across from mine, and whenever he did something that he thought was cool was, Hey, Ken, come here. you got to see this. <laughs> so I'd go over there. Yeah, I, I got a couple of minutes before I have to get something done. Okay. So about three hours later, <laughs> I end up getting back to my own work. I'd, I'd dearly love to have one of those, but, man, they're priced they right are, out of my yeah. market.
1: And you know what's available right now that uh, somebody on um, KLOV has, that. I'm sorry, on Pinside has that is, very rare game same cabinet there's a working rat race
0: oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: for sale right now i think he's asking seven thousand for it but it's fully working yeah there the were, one that popped up on ebay a couple of years ago was a project and it he still wanted three thousand. yeah he
0: 000. wanted an well he got an enormous amount of money for it yeah that one's again that's a little little out of my wheelhouse but yeah i the interesting thing is that uh the artwork and some of the other things that that are involved in that one of our working titles for uh monkey marathon was rat race oh really yeah and so, so i we, guess they recycled that they title. recycled the the title and the the artwork into a maze game
1: right right yeah that's if you if you have a chance look that game up i think there were 10 made and there's only you know a, a portion of that there's only a uh, there's not even the 10 left i think there's only about five known I, yeah
0: i think there's only a few very of
1: them. unique game uh, and of course, the, the that was after af- my time, unfortunately. The asking but, price corresponds to the rarity yeah. of, of that game. Now, the other rare titles from Williams, you've got the Turkey Shoot. Was that bef- before you were there? That was at-
0: after they Turkey Shoot used the same board set with a slight modification as Mystic Marathon. Um, there were only four games: Mystic Marathon, Joust, Two, Turkey Shoot, and Inferno that used Inferno. that board yeah, that's, set.
1: That's another. Not, I don't think that one's quite as rare as Turkey Shoot, or is it the other? It the well, other no, way Inferno
0: is really rare because it it was released, but it w- didn't do very well. So, but there are a lot of people who have taken Joust two board sets and swapped the ROMs it's in. Just, and so it's
1: just a simple ROM set. It's a
0: ROM swap, and then you have to find the
1: uh, ROM swap. Sorry, I said ROM set. Yeah, ROM set swap.
0: Yes, and and you have to find the uh, uh, sound card for it. The sound card is very similar to the one that went into Smash TV.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So it's it's slightly different, as I understand, from the one that's in Joust 2. And I've got one of each, and I can see that there's a slight difference, and I'm not sure which is which.
1: <laughs> well, I can say that I'm very jealous of, of your stories. That uh, You know, once again, I... I played the games when they were this popular, but I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to actually work at the place where they were made. So I'm sure you've got some really great memories of, of the of Yeah, the well, the,
0: the interesting thing about all of that is it, it was a job. Right. I'd, I'd go into work, I'd have a whole list of things that I had to do that day, bugs to fix, features to add, whatever was going on, and... That was it. I mean, yeah, it was fun because it was a game, but it was a job, just like any other job when you go into work. But if
1: you could go back in time now, if, if I, 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 <laughs> I would be, t- I would take pictures every day. I would record conversations. It just, it's a, yeah, it's a if, part of history. Yeah,
0: if I, if I had known that there was going to be this much interest in it, my trunk would have been full every night as <laughs> I left the building.
1: Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, what was the story you told me previously about the Dura molds about the. Oh,
0: oh, oh, yeah. For those of you who don't know, the Dura-molds were uh, primarily round plastic Just cabinets. a large cylinder almost. Just, yeah, a lot of people called them garbage cans, you know, large garbage cans. Um, basically, the the operators didn't like them because they were different. And operators tended not to like different things, so they didn't do very well. And they
1: looked like they would be very light, like it would be easy to push over, but they're not.
0: No, they're not. They're actually very heavy. It's a heavy polyethylene, you know, the same stuff that they make uh, water bottles and everything else out of, but it's really thick. I mean, you can take a baseball bat to them, and it won't hurt them.
1: You didn't take a baseball bat to one, did you?
0: I'm not going to say. <laughs> uh, but, uh yeah, I mean, they're, they're very rare because not very many of them were produced because they didn't sell well. Um, the company that made them, Duramold, actually got rid of the, the aluminum molds by taking them and they dropped them off on a shipping dock at Williams. And nobody knew what they were. And eventually, a couple days later, they went away. And everyone assumes that somebody took them and recycled for the aluminum, for cash, for the and aluminum. And I'm sure that's
1: exactly what happened. How, how great would that be to have been able to obtain that, to be, be able to make, say, you know, and of course the stories I'm sure the same with the uh, original computer space cabinet. I mean, that's kind of the same thing as fiberglass. Yeah, it's fiberglass, but, but, but it had to a have a mold somewhere. for it, yeah. Yeah, that would be, to it's, it's start making new Dura mold cabinets, that would be great. But you know, things it, you know, as you said previously, back then it was everything was practically disposable. It's let's get these games out of here. We're done with this project, let's move on to the next well, one quickly.
0: If, for video games the life expectancy was eighteen months. Um, thirty years later, here
1: 30 we years are thirty years
0: later here we are. And on pinball machines it was like two, two and a half years because they were a little more durable. But the idea was that uh, most operators, if they didn't get their money back within the first month, month and a half, that thing was in the trash. Or the insides of it, at least, were in Save the trash. Save the monitor. Save the monitor and the cabinet and stick some other board in it. Right. But All those these horrible,
1: those, ugly conversions that we see now.
0: Yeah, except that those really weren't available back then. You had to buy the whole cabinet. You couldn't buy just the boards. So for a lot of the Defenders and Stargates and Robotrons and Jousts, the whole cabinet went. You know, it wasn't until later what ended up happening was a lot of the operators would, have, if the game broke, it would go into their round to it warehouse. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'll get a round to it one of these days. Anyway, so when they started coming out with the conversion kits, they would go to their warehouse and pull these old machines out. And refurbish them and put them back out. That's why they have black paint or green paint or really <laughs> ugly, nasty paint on the sides, covering up the old artwork. Was so they could just throw whatever game they could get a hold of. It's always
1: interesting when you have a cabinet that you'll see remnants of a like like the bottom panel of the the floor of a cabinet. You'll see uh, like a Defender may have a Robotron artwork on the bottom, and you know it came from Williams that way. They were just we've got to get these games out we've got oh, here's a cabinet we, let's cut this up and yeah. I guess that may be more so the cabinet company than the then Williams I guess uh, no it was
0: Williams um, as a matter of fact in my collection I have a Robotron cabinet that's painted in stargate colors
1: oh really under
0: the black unfortunately the black is really good so I can't get the black off without destroying it
1: so Williams made their own cabinets or did they use no like, they used kill
0: ca- yeah they used a, a couple of different cabinet companies. But they did their own paint jobs.
1: Oh, really? So you would get a just a no-paint wooden cabinet come in, and right. the stencil work would all be done in house. Right,
0: and they would they would start it at one end, and, and based on what they were building, you know, they'd paint it red for a Stargate cabinet, or they paint it what? silver for a Robotron cabinet. And when you got to the end of the run... Somebody would come in and say, "Hey, we want ten more Stargates." Well, we're out of Stargate cabinets. Well, we've got the paint hey, we for got, it. We got the paint. We got a Robotron cabinet right there. <laughs> Zoom! It's it's a Stargate in a Robotron cabinet, or it's a a Robotron in whatever the next one was. Or you know, it's just they. Once when, again,
1: get them out on the street. Get, get them out get on them. the street. Let's get these things making. Nobody money.
0: cared what cabinets looked like. It's only collectors that care about cabinets, and there were no collectors back <laughs> right, then. Right, exactly. <laughs>
1: well, Ken, I want to thank you very much for the time you've given us. This is—I love hearing your stories. It's always, you know, fun to imagine what it was like back then. It, you really worked. I mean, you know, once I think every all of us would like to have been in the industry back when you were. And it, like you said, you didn't really know at the time what you were a part of, but you know, now we can all. Fantasize about the time back then, where you know when you lived through all this.
0: Well, thanks, Eric. I appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully, some people will have some amusement at the uh, the fun that I had back then. And I hope that people enjoy the games. Come out to the Game Preserve. We've got a whole row of Williams games. That's right. Shameless nope. plug. <laughs> North
1: side of Houston, the Woodlands, and just like you said, there's all the classic Williams games are here. And maybe, maybe in sometime in the future, maybe we'll have a uh, star rider here.
0: Yeah, if if we can get either find one of the laserdisc players that still works, and we can afford to buy it, or uh, the gentleman who did Daphne will uh, come through with his his project. It would I would love to do it. It was a fun game. It was a, it was fun to work on.
1: And if you've never seen a Duramold cabinet, there's a uh, blaster. Duramold. Yeah, we have a Duramold here. blaster here. Uh, I think that's the, that's the only Duramold that you have. That's right? the
0: only Duramold we've we've gotten so far. Um, I've bid on a few of them on eBay, but unfortunately, never never <laughs> reeled it all the way in. Um, <laughs> well, once again,
1: Ken, thank you for taking your time to talk to us, and uh, have a good one.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast. All of our episodes are available for download at ArcadeRepairTips.com or at the iTunes Music Store under Podcast. This podcast is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is of Arcade Entertainment Production.